Hello, darlings, and welcome back to Hashtag Lum Squad, the podcast dedicated to discussing the wonderful Omaki world and Ruko Takaji's here is the Yatsura. I'm your host, Lam Ramayasha, giving an introduction to our discussion of the manga's ninth omnibus volume. It's an exciting occasion, as this volume marks us having reached the midway point of the manga and features our discussion of a lot of exciting stories, including one of the series' longest and best arcs, the Mist Hobiki Contest! We had so much fun and had so much to say about these chapters that we originally released our discussion of this volume in two parts on our Patreon several months ago. Basically, we covered all the chapters up to the Mist Hobiki Contest in one recording session and the Mist Hobiki Contest by itself in another recording session a few weeks later, which I only mentioned just as a heads up to any slight audio discrepancies you may notice between these two halves. While we're releasing our Royal 9 discussion as one single episode, like with our previous episodes, we're finding it easier to record the discussions in two parts, so I think future coverage of manga volumes are going to be split between two different episodes in two halves, each half covering a single Takuban's word of chapters instead of the full Omnibus's work of two volumes worth of chapters. So our volume 10 discussion will be released in subsequent weeks as episodes 8 and 9 of Lone Squad. And if you want to listen to our discussion on the volume right now, you can head on over to our Patreon where we have both parts, our entire discussion of the volume, up for your listening pleasure early for our patrons. But for now, we hope you enjoy the main event. Our coverage of Yurzi Omnibus Volume 9, and the Ms. Tomobiki Contest. It's time to answer the question, who is number one? Let's find out. Darlings! Welcome back to the one and only podcast dedicated to Rukuro Hakashi's Yurzi Atsura. I'm your host, Lauren Ramayasha. And I am AC. And yeah, we're here today to talk about another wonderful, wacky volume of this series. And it's a special volume because with the release of the ninth volume of Weezy's Years of Gathering we are officially halfway through the series, just a little past halfway, which is Indeed. really exciting to think about. <laughs> it's pretty cool, actually. They've, uh, Viz haven't given up this time. <laughs> no. I'm so glad that we've gotten this far. And we're going to get to the end, I am sure. I feel very confident, and I'm very excited. We have already passed the milestone of getting new chapters never before translated officially in English. But to get to the halfway point of the series is another special occasion, especially because this volume contains so many classic, iconic stories, including one of the series' best storylines. Yep, that's true. This is this is a really good volume. The cast is all here. It's established and it's solid. Although... Mm-hmm. We we haven't done the early volumes. I think we started at volume four or five. Yeah, we started I say. focusing on specific volumes with volume six, and we did a general overview of one through five. So it would be worthwhile to 
go back and cover those volumes more in depth. In general, there are probably specific storylines or chapters we could break down, and we could think about a format for that. You know, there's a lot of ideas I've had for, like, how to focus on specific storylines or chapters in the series. But, yeah, like, there's still plenty to cover, but as far as these general overviews go, we started volume six, and... We still could do something with the first five if we wanted to give them more attention. Yeah, I think that's that's not a bad idea. There's, there's, I mean, for a show that's been, you know, for a series, not just show, but you know, manga series that's, uh, you know, ended thirty five years ago, um, we have lots of content. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That we can that we can continually draw from. So this uh, this isn't going to end anytime soon. <laughs> There's a lot to talk about with the series. I mean, with our last episode, we had so much to say about Rudinowski, and I really do feel like specific characters is their podcast all in of themselves to talk about. So there's so much to talk about with the series. And let's get right into it. Yeah, speaking of Rudinowski, that is the subject of the first chapter in this volume, in this collection, another Rudinowski chapter, and it happens to be a Valentine's Day chapter as well. The premise of I this do... one... Oh, go ahead. Oh no, I was just going to say, I always love the Valentine's Day chapters. Yeah, uh, yeah. And this one is another wacky one. It starts off being a pretty bad day for Rudinowski, because their dad is really rubbing it in her face, like he's wearing a feminine motherly gown and saying oh i just want to have a feminine touch in the morning and she's like well can't I, you just let me be a girl anytime and instead he mocks her and worse he like flicks her breasts which is super mm. gross and awful so her dad is being a real jerk yeah real pain here mm-hmm. but rianosuke afterward is fuming walking to school, but she gets some chocolate from a freshman girl, and she's, like, freaking out. And, of course, it's Valentine's Day, so we're seeing a lot of the characters get chocolate. Mendo's getting a lot of chocolate, to the chagrin of the other boys in class. Lum is force-feeding Ataru chocolate, like, he's literally <laughs> lifting his mouth open to force-feed him chocolate. And then Rinosuke comes in with a huge stack of chocolate, more than Mendo's, triple as much as Mendo's, which causes him to sulk. But Rinosuke isn't super happy about getting all the chocolate because she thinks it's dangerous because her dad, as he's wont to do, has gaslit and lied to her about stuff. And he told her that chocolate derives from contaminated and toxic, so it's a, it is a poisonous snack. And if people eat it, their poison's gonna spread out through the body and they'll die. And so this leaves the rest of the class aghast. And so they try to explain to Ryanosuke it's not poisonous. That gets her upset to want to fight her dad. And her dad taunts her into asking if she wants to try to eat the chocolate, and she falls for the taunt and eats it. And then her dad rubs it in her face like, Hi, you ate the chocolate that was given to you by a girl, therefore that makes you a boy. Which is pretty (laughs) reductive, because Valentine's Day, you know, anyone can give chocolate to anyone. It's not just between girls and boys. But you know, uh, the way it works in Japan is a little different, so yeah. 
Well, even though I know there's there's still friend chocolates though that girls give to each yeah. other. And yes, that's true. Know, that's called giddy choco. Yeah, and you know, queer boys, I'm sure, probably give each other chocolates too on Valentine's Day yep. in Japan. So, you know, he has a reduction, but it is like the cultural thing. Like Valentine's Day is a day where girls give chocolate to the boys they like, but. Yeah, yeah. It, it's it's following the rules to a T here. <laughs> it's like very strict and not inclusive of like other situations and people who fall outside, you know, heterosexual relationships between mm. cis men and cis women. But yeah, Ryunosuke believes him once again that eating chocolate is going to make her a boy. And so she salts and then she is concerned that, you know, her body's going to change and she's going to become more masculine. And other girls approach her to give her their chocolates and that causes her to just flail around running away. Even her dad dresses up, cross-dresses as a schoolgirl to trick her into eating chocolate and taunts her and saying, ha, you're going to become masculine. Those masculinity's going to bubble up inside you. Luckily, Ataru and her friends, they come to try and set her straight, but Ataru wants to take advantage of Yu's confusion to come up with this elaborate scheme in which he tells her, you can avoid becoming a boy by you as a girl giving a chocolate to a boy. So he tells her to give chocolate to the first boy who basically comes around the corner of a building. And he wants to be that person, but of course, <laughs> Lum hammers him and foils that plan. So they instead turn their attention to the person afterward, who turns out to be Rinosuke's dad. And he accepts her chocolate, and he has taken all of her chocolate that was given to her by the girls. And he thinks to himself, ha, thanks to my devoted son, I have enough chocolate that lasts me for four years. So he's Hoarding <laughs> all the chocolate that was given to his daughter because he's just that much of a scumbag. But he really only is. cares about not becoming a boy. So Atari yeah. assures her that no, she she won't. He um Ryunosuke's dad is really the villain of the series in a lot of these stories. He is a flat out villainous character. I think he's a flat yeah. he's one of the most despicable characters results. I am so upset in so many of these storylines in this volume with him. Like, in the anime, I think he comes across a little funnier just because of the performance, but, like, reading this year, mm. man, he's just so abusive and just just such a cruel person and selfish person. I just hate him so much, but I enjoy his character because I do think that the interactions can be entertaining, but he is just so despicable as a human being. Like, the most despicable human being i think in this entire series i think he and there are there are a lot of bad people in this series oh yeah um so it's interesting that um that that takahashi really went quite hard with this character in terms of like how much of a scumbag he actually is and and you know she uses that to the advantage of of the stories a lot of the time mm. uh and it it does show in some stories that he does care blah 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 yeah. but you know she uses him as as the antagonist, a pretty hardcore yeah. antagonist in, in a lot of these. Um, so this is a really fun chapter, especially... Ataru doesn't have um, a whole lot to do here. 
It's mostly focused on Ryanosuke. Uh, of course, Ataru trying to take advantage of the situation and getting foiled by everyone is pretty funny. Uh, and um, and Takahashi does draw him a little, kind of a little more comically in this as well. Yeah. Much more exaggerated features and the like, making him very much the kind of the B-plot character in this, I suppose you could say. Yeah. So yeah, I think that it's, a, it's a strong start to the volume. Uh, next chapter, we've got uh, Deadly Fighting Snapping Turtle 10, <laughs> which you could almost one. sing to Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles theme song, oh, I suppose. Yes. <laughs> deadly Fighter Snapping Turtle 10, Deadly Fighter Snapping Turtle 10. <laughs> 10 and a half cast, 10 power. <laughs> 10 power. <laughs> um, <laughs> that was really good. Impromptu there. Impromptu singing. In this chapter, basically, it starts off with uh, Ataru and Ten fighting. Ah, oh, man, I just love the panel of them, like, charging at each other. Like, it's already funny, like, with Ten charging, he's, like, flailing around in the air, of course. Like, the sound effects itself are funny. But just mm. this one panel showing them, like, wind up, like, Ten winding up to blast Ataru in his firebed, and Ataru, like, you know, winding up his pan to hit 10 and then we see in the next panel like he succeeded in hitting 10 into the wall but he's also got a burden in the process it's just such a funny sequence it's a great page and i think that's uh it's very reminiscent of sporting manga mm-hmm. uh, apparently that is kind of how they like to draw like where an action sequence of oh, someone yeah. moving incredibly quickly is putting the same character four times or five times in one frame hyper uh, to show how fast yeah yeah so it's almost like a tennis move here. Um, of course, Ten is... Atari gets burnt. Ten gets smashed against a wall. And Ten gets angry enough. And then it cuts to the next day where Ataru is apparently injured. He is walking to school with a bandage around his right arm with a sling. Uh, and this, of course, makes all of the uh, other characters just stare in bemusement that the Ataru Moroboshi could actually get hurt. Yeah, I mean, he's tough as a cockroach. Like, he is, he endures so much slapstick comical abuse. They point out all the different types of abuse he commonly faces in so much of the series. Electrical attacks are mm. plum, desks being thrown at him, slapped from Sakura, fought, being burned by Ten's fire, even seeing Cherry's face. He could bounce back from it all. So what yep, he just, possibly he could hurt off. him? Yeah. It's a real mystery. Like, what could hurt this guy who seemingly is so invulnerable to his back from so much of this abuse? And of course, this everyone is just trying to find out how he got hurt, what has hurt him, how could he have possibly sustained an injury? This goes on, all the other characters are kind of theorizing about what happened, and at the end of the chapter, it turns out that, you know, basically you could have figured it out from the title, uh, Ten has latched himself onto Ataru's arm with a massive bite, refuses <laughs> to let go, and so Ataru just wrapped a bandage around him and said he was hurt. And even by the end of this chapter, Ten is still hanging on. <laughs> I know, he's so tenacious, I just, and this is his special attack, he's just biting on to Ataru's arm and not letting go. This is such a memorable little story, just for that ending, and just for the idea that Ataru is, like, so ashamed of that, like, Ted was less latching onto him, like, he just wrapped him up and 
cast and just went about his day and tried to pass it off that he was injured. And there's just so <laughs> many great moments. Like when Atari was lamenting like the state of his arm, he like bashes the arm against the legend of to the onlookers, it looks like he's you know, hurting his already hurt arm, but what he's really doing is trying to hit her ten who is clinging onto his arm. Oh, and also the sequence in the classroom where Taro is using one hand to just try and eat his lunch in the middle of the class is <laughs> just creating so much noise. It's just so great. <laughs> this is um what I love about this, and Takahashi has done this uh, a few times in the past uh, few volumes, is that she kind of calls it out. Like, they kind of call out um, the cartoon violence, that um, the Looney Tunes-esque violence that, that Ataru goes through pretty much every chapter. You know, getting hit with giant mallets, electrocuted, desks thrown at him, and a whole host of other, other things that, that should, you know, really injure the guy. He brushes it off and she calls out here and everyone else does as well. Like everyone is amazed by the fact that he's hurt. And I think that uh, it's kind of a little bit fourth wall breaking, which I really appreciate whenever they do this. Whenever they kind of call out the fact that they know they're in a comic. I think it's fantastic. And it's always really well handled. (laughs) Definitely. The characters are very cognizant of the cartoon physics of their world. And Mm. so like legitimate injuries are such a surprise to them because... Yeah, this is a world in which you can bounce back from anything, no matter what state you find yourself in at the end of a chapter. Like, next week, you're going to be totally fine. <laughs> uh, and, of course, Lum just kind of walks off at the end saying they deserve each other. Yeah, this which is, is a rare time you know, where Lum is also frustrated with Ten, in addition to Ataru. Yeah. Like, she just, like, kind of shrugs and just moves along because she's just so fed up at how petty and childish both of them are being <laughs> okay next is chapter three yes Anko patos the taste of love so this is about ron is going on dates with ray feeding him taiyaki she's very suspicious that lum wants to get back together with ray so that makes her very competitive to win his heart with his Tayaki full of Anko, and while feeding him, like, there ends up being some Tayaki on her cheek, and so Ray, the glutton that he is, licks the Tayaki off his cheek, and she thinks that he's kissed her, and that makes her very happy as she screams out at the top of her lungs. And that changes her mood, like, she... Is now pretty confident that she's won Ray's heart, so she treats Lum nicely and wants to reconcile with her. And Lum is happy to hear it because not only is Ray off her back, but now Ron is off her back. She doesn't have to worry about Ron picking on her anymore. But she goes home to find that Ray is there, eating a meal, playing cards with Ataru, Kotatsu, Neko, and Ten. And she's yelling at him why he isn't with Ron why he's visiting her instead. And, like, they get into an argument, and he she tries to get Ron out of the room, because she doesn't want Ron to discover him there. But instead, Ron comes over, because she couldn't sleep, and she wanted to hang out with her, because now she's a friendly parent with Mom. But she sees Ray there, 
and she gets jealous all over again and thinks, oh, so you're trying to steal Ray after all. And she feels hurt that Ray would cheat on her after kissing her and, like, pouts and cries. Atara takes advantage of this. And Katatsuneko feeds her some taiyaki. And so she eats it, gets Onko on her cheeks again, and that causes Ray to go in for another kiss. And this time, because the Onko is on her lips, he kisses her straight on the lips. And that <laughs> uh, makes Ron so happy all over again, screaming on top of her lawn. Well, Lam is just fed up with all this, and Ataru is dejected. Like, he literally gets tears of his eyes seeing Ray kiss Ron. Like, he is so disappointed that he could not have the same pleasure. Like, yeah. And Ted is just confused. Like, what's going on? Like, he couldn't follow anything that would just happen. This is a very fun uh, chapter, and it, it's nice to see Ron... I'm not sure you'd call it a win, but it's a win from her perspective. And mm-hmm. her being nice and friendly towards Lum is it's kind of kind of a fun change to that dynamic. Mm-hmm. It's very ironic, of course, because, you know, she is super happy that she thinks she's getting Ray's attention, but in reality, like he is just so single mindedly obsessed with food and really is paying Lum more attention than her. But she you know, wants to believe what she wants to believe. She wants to believe that, you know, Ray does have some compassion for her. So, you know, I feel good for her. Like, you know, she, she's yeah. getting what she wants. I just feel, though, it is so much of a shame that the person she likes is kind of literally kind of a pig, a selfish cow pig who yeah. forges himself. One of my favorite parts of this um, this chapter is just when Lum comes back, they're all playing cards together. Mm-hmm. It's interesting that, yeah, he's on friendly terms with Ataru now. Like, they just are yeah. chilling, playing cards. I mean, we know that he and Ten are friends from a previous appearance where Ten called him in. But I guess now mm. he's on good terms with Ataru. Like, he doesn't have any ill will. Like, remember in his first appearance, like, he was at his dark throat for Lum's affections, but now he doesn't really seem to mind him, even though he's still, like, kind of very friendly and still very much affectionate towards Lum, like, in front of Ataru, too. Hmm. It's kind of almost like watching, a, like, walking in on a bunch of actors who just, who haven't been called onto set yet. Yeah. <laughs> like, they're really friendly behind the scenes when they're not put on the spotlight. It's, a, it's just a fun little scene of just them all hanging out together. And this is the second chapter in a row where Lum is just bloody fed up with all of this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> At the end, she's just like, she's just exasperated and just like, ugh, just like sighing heavily. Yeah, uh, Lum with, is really with the situation. into the straight man role, like in yeah. this stretch of the series, even. Like, she's no longer the character... I mean, the next chapter we'll talk about, she is the character who instigates a vacuum scenario, but even then, she very quickly becomes more of a straight, mannish character reacting to the craziness around her, which is such an interesting change from how she was at the start, where she was the weirdest, most eccentric character, the most inscrutable in terms of her motivations, but now she's, like, presented as the most level-headed, reasonable person who's reacting to the insanity and crazy whims of the people around her. 
yeah, it turns out the um the alien from space just isn't the wackiest thing in the room anymore. <laughs> just all of the other characters are. Even though she can fly, she's the most grounded person in the series right now. Yeah, at the moment, definitely. So chapter four is the indelible lipstick magic. And of course, the um the front page here, the title page, has all of the characters in lipstick. And I gotta say, my boy Kosuke, totally rocking it. Yeah, they all look pretty good, honestly. Mm. Like, Mendo looks particularly sharp. Like, yes. he's a, Yeah, Mendo looks particularly um, effeminate here, actually. Yeah. It's just the, the, the look on his... The, I don't know, it's got such a... Kind of an 80s look. It's very difficult to describe. But, like, his eyes with the lipstick is a like a particularly kind of 80s feel to it. Yeah. Like with short hair that was popular with women in Japan at the time. Yeah. Uh, and Ataru, <laughs> Ataru just looks like Ataru with lipstick on. <laughs> yeah, it's really the eyes. Like, the fact that his eyes are so small, it just mm. makes him look a lot goofier in comparison to the rest of the characters. Uh, so Lum is making a, uh, Lum's in, in her UFO and is got a chemistry set out. She makes a, a very special type of lipstick, puts it on and then puts it on herself, then puts it on Ataru to try and get uh, Ataru to kiss her. And Ataru thinks that this is a very, very bad idea and confiscates the lipstick, pretends to throw it out the window. Uh, and of course, he's actually pocketed it. Takes it to school the next day and tries to give it to the girls. And so he gives it to Rionosuke first. Then Ataru puts it on himself and they almost kiss. But of course, uh, Rionosuke is way too fast. Yeah, punches him right in the face as he's <laughs> gravitating towards her. This, of course, leads everyone to find out what the lipstick does. So then all of the girls try on the lipstick and then all of the boys try on the lipstick. And of course, the first people to actually kiss are Ataru and Mendo. Oh my god. The joke with the Dapia alien where Takashi <laughs> breaks the fourth wall again and like has just these this three panel sequence of the pie aliens, just one pose, and it's just texting, I'm sorry you had to witness that. Beat Please wait a moment. Oh my it's just such a funny interruption just to to sell just the unpleasantness of like everyone has just witnessed Ataru Mendo kiss. And you know, normally I would be a little skeptical or worried that there'd be a homophobic underpinning to this, but I really do feel that this is so character specific with these. It characters. is very, very much that. Mm. It is very much between um and it is a great gag, like the, these yeah. two rivals kissing each other, and then just there's just this beat where like nobody's laughing, nobody's like screaming. There is just like a dead silence over the entire class. Yeah, and then of course pandemonium ensues as everyone else has the lipstick on and is chasing everyone else around the around the classroom. <laughs> and it turns out Onsen Mark has just been up there the entire yeah, time, teaching the class, writing on the time. board. Oh my god, that <laughs> noticing Onsen Mark there and the fact that he was just been trying to teach the entire time while all this class has been lost in craziness was what especially killed me about this final battle, <laughs> this punchline. Like, <laughs> Onsen Mark makes such a great 
Coda to a lot of these classroom chapters. Like him trying his best to be an educator while all this chaos goes on. He's powerless to interrupt or stuff it. Oh my I do I do like the times when he just doesn't even bother. Like sometimes yeah. he tries to instill some sort of discipline in his classroom and other times he's just like going, I am too old for this shit. I'm just yeah. I'm just gonna stay up the front and write on the blackboard. Gives up. Yeah. This is a time when like it doesn't happen too often anymore that like that Lum really tries to get Ataru to like force herself on Ataru. Um, which is literally is is what's happening at the start of this. Um, but you know she's still she's still able to do it. She still brings it out, and of course uh, wackiness ensues after that. The dead to last panel here is actually Ten trying to get the lipstick to come off, but he's had it on since yesterday and it doesn't come off easily. So hmm. denoting that this is not going to end anytime soon. No, no, as it's wont to do, like the chaos is out of control and who knows how it's going to resolve but next week they'll have found a way to resolve it all but yeah man we're at a really amazing stretch in terms of the art in the series because there's so many panels and bits of character art and expressions that look just so good like there's this page early on like the first three pages are almost completely dialogue list is with Lum concocting the magnetic lipstick and then going to a Jarvis and then just looking at him before trying to apply the lipstick on him. Like, it's just such a great sequence. And, man, the panel of him, like, kind of just looking at Ataru, like, you know, before she's about to apply the lipstick, like, that, I don't know why, it just strikes out to me. It's just such a pretty drawing of her and expression of her. Like, I just really enjoy that. But also, you know, a great moment I loved in this chapter was Rinosuke getting the try on lipstick. Like, I'm just always happy for whenever she succeeds in being able to try out a feminine thing and just enjoy herself. Obviously, it gets ruined by the end of the chapter. Like, she thinks, man, <laughs> lipstick is dangerous. I'm not going to mess with that again. But hey, you know, I also appreciate Rinosuke learning that, hey, you know, not every feminine thing is up my alley or something that I'm super interested in. But I'm glad that she at least got to try it for a little bit. And yeah, I mean, I And she looks really cute when she puts the lipstick on as well. Yeah, and I like... Um, Takahashi has kind of drawn her eyes fuller. Yeah, and oh my gosh, I like that she blushes when she looks at herself in her ring. She, she says, man, I look so beautiful. Like, again, I just, I'm very happy whenever Ryunosuke kind of gets this moment where she can just, you know feel true to herself or like have a moment of self-love and self-appreciation mm. and like live out like something she's always wanted to do especially you know we talk a lot about kind of the queer coding of you know game especially like her coda is a trans female character and it, you know there's just such really great subtext to this that's still resonant no matter some of the other baggage the series has when it comes to its explorations of gender and sexuality Mm. The the other two things I just wanted to quickly point out was when there's a great panel where Mendo is putting the lipstick on, yeah, and like the entire black background is is completely black, and he's like putting the lipstick on, and it Takahashi has just made him look kind of like evil and it's conniving as he does it, panel. and it's just such a gr- it's like I'm putting this lipstick on, <laughs> and it's such a 
I don't know. They, she she really nailed the look of someone putting on lipstick evilly, like with with malicious intent. Yeah. And we we know that Ataru. This isn't Ataru's first kiss. Like Lum, especially in the early chapters, kisses Ataru quite a lot. I'm trying to think whether we see Mendo kissing someone before, and hmm. if not, would this be Mendo's first kiss? Maybe. I don't think he successfully kissed Karama. So yeah. Mm, could be. I mean, with all of his, you know, with all of his um, womanizing and all that kind of stuff, he never seems to get very into the physical realm of that. He just likes doing like the the girl chasing Nampa sort of thing. Yeah, he's a flirt, but he's when a push comes to shove, he's a little too much of a shy boy. Yeah, he's a he's a bit of a cherry boy, Almendo, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now, chapter five, buried classroom. Yeah, this chapter takes an interesting turn. It starts off with Ten kind of spying on turning the rest of the boys, like reading a porn mag, and he gets fed up with them and tries to burn them, but instead he hits a uh, tomato house greenery, and that gets the garden club all except because Ten has burned their tomatoes. And Ataru, like, suggests they punish Ten, and they work themselves up. Originally, they were thinking, you know, punishing you is not going to bring back my tomatoes. But, you know, they look at the sons and they're reminded of their tomatoes and that makes them angry. And so, Ataru is buried in the dirt. And then they, like, pick on Ten too and, like, spray fertilizer of him. Chemical fertilizer of rage. <laughs> and so, later, Mom finds Ten still dug in the cabbage patch and she digs him out but she also chastises him for burning down the tomato house and tells him she doesn't want him to uh hurt any other living beings if she catches him she's going to you know punish him she he'll be in trouble so ten is now thinking how can i get revenge in a way that's not going to hurt living beings and so the next day everyone at tomobiki comes to find that the school has been buried underground. The inside is okay, though, so they go inside to conduct classes normal, and Ten is inside, like, trying to stoke up everyone's fears by using a radio to make creaking sounds. And then the jig is up, and they realize Ten is the reason that the school is underground. Mendo chastises him for... You know, it doesn't matter that they have punished the boys, but the women, they're so sensitive. How could you inflict such a terrible trauma on them? Kosuke guides all the girls out so they can turn off the lights in the classroom to trigger Mendo's uh, fear of tight spaces, claustrophobia. And so this also is when Ryunosuke finds out that Mendo has claustrophobia and it activates when he's in dark cramped spaces and when there's no women around, which gets her upset because, wait, I'm a woman, I'm still in this room, and Mendo's Mm. still reacting the same. So that's also the interesting detail of, like, Mendo doesn't really see Ryunosuke and treat her the same as the other girls, which is an interesting distinction between how he treats Ryunosuke and how Ataru treats Ryunosuke, because Ataru does treat Ryunosuke as one of the girls. So it's, it's yeah, I think it's thing. it's like very much a visual thing for Mendo. Like mm-hmm. if it doesn't look like a girl, then 
he loses interest. But when yeah. she acts like a girl, that's when she, he kind of gets more interested in her, I think. I think it fits his superficial personality that he is most yeah. attracted, interested in femininity and uh, aesthetic and appearance of femininity in, for women and girls. And so, not just Rinosuke, but that volleyball girl, like the big conflict, like early on, was like she had feelings for Minda, but like she also had this like competitive personality, and that you know she got very worked up when she was playing, and so when that side of her is discovered, like Mindo got turned off from her. So mm. I guess it is consistent with how he treated that character, and now how he's treating you know okay. It's like he doesn't necessarily have interest in women who aren't very feminine. Yeah. Uh, This chapter is, it's okay. It's not like nothing too bad happens, but we've just come off the run of like quite a few really funny, really good chapters. Yeah, it doesn't really have a big resolution to it. Like, we just. No, they're just digging the school out. Mendo claustrophobia, you know, say, real. For learning for the first time, yeah, so it's probably a gag, and that's like the second to last page. Like the story yeah. just ends with them all leaving the school, and the principal calls off classes so they can just dig the school out. So Ten sort of has a win, but he essentially has punished like everyone at Tomobiki High besides the people responsible for hurting him earlier. So it's not. You know, a super, like, compelling win for him, I would say, because he's also punished now, like, a bunch of other people who are, like, pretty innocent in, like, kind of the mistreatment that happened to him earlier. I will say also that this pales in comparison just because the anime version of this goes even crazier with the concept and also with the Tomato Coke guys. Like, they have a much bigger role and they're, like, more eccentric and idiosyncratic in the anime version and so because they have such more of a presence and they're like just so much weirder that also makes the anime version of the story stand out more than the manga version i think but i still enjoy a lot of the gags in it it's just as a story it just doesn't like super come to it doesn't really punch yeah yeah it just it's like a series of very funny gags but the story itself like just kind of ends so for chapter six, we've got uh, beautiful Sakura's exorcisms. Um, so basically at the start here, Sakura is kind of uh, just tidying up a little bit some of her uh, mystical objects. The uh, Mr. Tiger Stripes, the cat, Tora, yeah. comes down and This is and interesting. I think it's off. the first time we've seen Torajima's name in the manga localized as Tiger Stripes. In this yes, it is. It's yeah. It's um. We have seen him around, mm-hmm. and I think in the in the anime, he's kind of more of a more. They they kind of play him off. He's obviously meant to be like a kind of like a yakuza sort of cat, like yeah. a, like a organized crime kind of thug, um, sort of vibe. And uh, so he steals um Sakura's exorcism wand, and so basically what happens is uh, she is just surrounded by monster, just yokai, everywhere around her because she can't exercise them. Ataru offers to go find the, um, go find the wand, and he actually finds it pretty much straight away. 
and then yeah. refuses to give it to Sakura unless she goes on a date with him. Uh, so Mendo is actually quite scared of the monsters. He's very much like a, ooh, he's, he's very nervous about all of this. Um, so they play keepy offsies with the wand. Ataru and the monsters kind of gang up on Sakura, but she gets her wand back. She exercises them. And one of my favorite gags in this entire, in this entire volume is all of the monsters she exercised just all go back to Ataru's house and hang out. Yeah. They're such a Which is great- just fantastic. He goes, are these friends of yours? He goes, yeah, we just kind of get along. <laughs> oh my gosh. There's such great art in this chapter with Sakura surrounded yeah. by all the spirits and also her exorcism of them. Like, this is, it's really striking visuals and dramatic art. It's just really You can cool. tell that Takahashi just really likes drawing yokai. Yeah. And, you know, and monsters, and which, you know, she would obviously get to do a lot more as, as, um, as her career progressed, especially with yeah. uh, Inuyasha. I mean, these are still goofy-looking monsters compared to some of the scarier ones still drawn or serious series, but yeah, I mean, mm. the compositions of these panels with Sakura surrounded by all the yokai, and then exercising the yokai, like, you definitely see your kind of flexing, kind of more dramatic framing and action kind of panels, which is really cool. Some other notes I really like about the chapter is, you know, Sakura looks very much like Kyoko at the beginning of this chapter. Kyoko from yes. Maison Koku, what with the apron she's wearing, and the way she's wearing her hair, like, tied down behind her back, like, it, she looks a lot like Kyoko. I also really like that Torijima, like, he just takes on 10 for no reason. Like, unprovoked. Yeah. <laughs> he just spots Ten, walks up to him, and starts clawing him in the face. And I like that when Ten steals the wand, presumably to try and fight back Torajima, but when we encounter Torajima later, he's, like, carrying the wand. I love the implication, as we find out for sure, definitively at the end of the chapter, is that he just very easily, again, beat up Ten and stole the wand from him. And yeah, it's just man, this cat is such a bully. It's very yeah, funny. he really is. He's he's very much a thug. Uh-huh. Which I just I just love the the interpretation, especially with the eye patch and all that kind of stuff. It's it's very like yakuza. Takashi really is a thing for punkish animals and also animals with eye patches, as well. You know, have another character, another animal character with an eye patch who they encounter later on so that's gonna be fun but yeah this is quite a um i really i really like the art here it's also funny to see mendo out of his depth Mm -hmm. like he he is freaked out by these monsters goes back and just refuses to to kind of go to the infirmary again whereas ataru is just like he just kind of palling around with them and it's just it's just great to see him like just take the side of the monsters just they all just kind of get along it's just it's just a great gag yeah, one really cool lettering detail is that when Mendo is screaming, no, I don't want to go back to the infirmary, the no, the O's are all of different shapes, which is really interesting. It's not just one uniform font for the O's. Like, there is specific variation in them to communicate kind of like him screaming, like his uh, dismay and like his fear there. Like I like that touch that they did to add that little bit extra personality and implication to what 
he is feeling. Like, I really do appreciate that are in details like that. Yeah, and it probably would have come from, like, a, a different kind of font they probably used with the, uh, the, the lettering in Japanese. So now we've got uh, Chapter 7, Flower Viewing Deathmatch. Yeah, now this is a very strange one. Like, it starts off with Mendo's subordinates desperately trying to obfuscate something that will ultimately end up make them have to throw a cherry blossom viewing party. However, they fail at this because Mendo, when he goes to feed his octopuses, he does notice that they all only have seven tentacles. He immediately knows who to suspect and goes to see Ryoko and asks her about her cherry tree, which turns out to be a living, moving, carnivorous cherry tree who has been eating the octopus tentacles of Mendo's pet octopuses. And so that upsets Mendo. And so as recompense, as payback for the tree eating his octopuses' tentacles, he demands they throw a cherry blossom viewing party. And Ryoko Skoroko invite Ataru and Lum to also attend a party and assist the tree. They recruit Ataru to help assist the tree in the fight with the (laughs) subordinates of Mendo, his slack suits. And they're like in a wrestling cage, basically. And like the tree is chained up too. And. Mm. Yeah, they're all wearing, like, kind of wrestling guard, even Ataru. And so, the guard, Mendo's guards, they try to cheat. Like, they have, like, a bottle of liquor they've kind of stashed in their tights. But it's, like, no rules, anything goes, kind of a fight. So, the tree fights back, and Ataru is, like, there, and he tries to taunt people that are attacking him, but you know, the guards are just focused on fighting the trees, so no one's attacking Ataru, but Lum enters the ring to fight Ataru, because if, you know, Ataru wins, then Ryoko has promised to kiss him, and she doesn't want that, so I like her, like, kind of devious grin and smile, as she is ready to fight Pounce on Ataru. So, while Ataru has to deal with that, the guards of Mendo, they succeed in force-feeding the tree the alcohol that they stashed away. And that gets the tree drunk, and so it collapses. It collapses over the guards, but the but since everyone is down, it ends up being a draw. Mendo is moved by his guards doing this Valiant Kamikaze maneuver, but ultimately him and Ryoko just kind of leave everyone there trapped under the tree. And apparently it gets to nighttime too, and everyone's still stuck under the tree, and none of it's just kind of drinking. Their frustrations are on the way, as Ataru is kind of disbelieved that they have to do this every year. The same thing happens. <laughs> this is one of those chapters again that's that, like, I think the, the concept of like a deathmatch uh, Hanami, Cherry Blossom Viewing Party, is good, but it, it, there's not quite a great payoff here, in my opinion. I wish they'd kind of maybe fleshed it out like over two chapters, but it's just kind of like a, a gag sort of thing with a, a tree deathmatch, they get drunk and, you know, it's a it's an all-draw tie sort of thing. I enjoyed it. I don't really have a ton of complaints. It's just such a weird concept of like this carnivorous 
cherry blossom tree who eats octopus mm. tentacles, and Mendo sticks his guards to fight it in a wrestling ring. It's like just these kind of crazy, wacky premises that Takashi loves to come up with that I just really appreciate. And it ends in kind of the the type of Takashi anti-climax that I also appreciate. Like it, like there's no big conclusion. Like they just end up getting to a situation where there's a stalemate, and so now they're trapped in this situation. And I yeah, appreciate it, it that. It just ends. <laughs> yeah. Um, it is. I do like Mendo's goons who just try, who obviously kind of lazy sometimes and don't want to get into a conflict. So they just say, octopuses have seven tentacles <laughs> when yeah. he's counting them. And they all say, how many tentacles does an octopus have? Seven. They will go, seven, seven, seven tentacles. <laughs> I pity Mendo's guards. And we <laughs> see in this volume, they have to deal with a lot of crazy whims that are ordered of them by their charges. So, yeah. Mm. Uh, chapter 8, The Trickle of Memories. Can I just comment that I love how Takashi draws, like, Lum and Ataru on you know, a short, like, it's already, like, a striking illustration for the title. But, yeah, I appreciate that she works Ataru and Lum in, like, looking up at Rinosuke, like, on her shirt. Like, it's a cool visual. Yeah, it is. I kind of like that. The first time I saw it, it, it kind of looked like kind of a little bit out of place, but I kind of just want that shirt. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man, I, I wish. Um, so this is, uh, this is another Ryunosuke-focused chapter. She's going to the bath, the public baths. Uh, they run into the Moroboshis, and she, she goes back and has, has a meal with them. And uh, she starts getting curious about her mother again. So, uh, Ryanosuke's dad kind of, uh, relays the story, or a story. Many stories. He gives her a real runaround, like, a lot of mysteries yeah. of, like, who her mother could be, and ultimately none of them are her mother. No, he's, he's kind of telling stories, and some of them are, like, references to either famous sporting events or movies, or, mm -hmm. uh, he once again, you know, dresses up in a dress, as he seems to want to do. Uh, and then by the end of the chapter, there's she doesn't really get any closer to learning about learning about her mother. However, she just kind of just goes and hangs out with the Moroboshis again. But we do learn that uh, that uh, Ryonosuke's mother might not be dead. <laughs> she, no, she just yeah. may have run out on them. <laughs> her dad misleads her into thinking, oh, you know. Her mom passed away, and it's a painful memory for her dad, and that's why he doesn't want to talk about it, and she is willing to accept that. But then, you know, days later, her dad goes on this program, this talk show for missing families, and he's yelling for Masako to come home to them. So <laughs> we learned that her mother's name is Masako, but yeah. she's alive. She just ran out of them. Yeah. Yeah. And why wouldn't you? <laughs> Yeah, this is the first part of a two-parter. We'll get into the second chapter in a little bit, but I just really do find the scenes where Rinosuke is kind of bonding with Atari's mother very sweet and emotional because she she just kind of wants, you know, a loving, supportive parental figure and, like, kind of a motherly figure in her life as well. But, you know, her dad is just so 
gaslighty. He like just so mm. is willing to just lie to her and to just like try and confuse her and exhaust her into like giving up and to trying to find out about her own mom. It's just so heartbreaking. It is, but I, what I do appreciate about this chapter is Ataru isn't being a total sleazebag when Rionosuke comes around. Because usually he's want to do stuff like that, uh, you know, you know, getting Rionosuke into his house and all that kind of stuff. But he's he's just eating dinner normally and chatting normally, which I kind of appreciate. Like he he yeah. he steps it back a bit when he needs to. Yeah, I mean, when she first comes to the house, like he immediately gives her a hug, which is at least pretty yeah. tame on the scale of things Ataru tries, and it leads to a good gag where hmm. she wraps him up in her scarf and then like twirls him around and he seems to have mm. a good time with it so that's just like a fun little gag that's like happening as she's having a conversation with Bob so yeah that's so we'll go into chapter 9 the album of memories yeah continuing off of the previous chapter it starts with Rinosuke having like this nightmare like this kind of traumatic dream of like seeing a woman underwater crying and she calls out to her and she thinks is that her mother but then when she goes to look at her face it's her father's and she like wakes up screaming with such a horrified expression and it makes her want to like you know bash her dad because he's sleeping peacefully <laughs> but then he starts crying in his sleep you know she thinks he's dreaming about her mom so she kind of lays off but then he kind of wakes up in, in a sort of a half awake super like sees Rinosuke as her mom, and so he starts kind of chasing after her until he kind of seems to fully gain his senses, and then he chastises her for being away at all night. So she crushes him like under a cabinet. The next day, she's like kind of venting about this situation to her friends, and they kind of draw the illusion like, hey, if he recognized her as her mom, does that mean that Ryunosuke actually looked like her mom? And so Ryunosuke gets encouraged by this because, you know, she doesn't look a lot like her dad, so maybe she does look like her mom. And that makes her want to go and find, you know, a picture of her mom and go look for an old photo album of theirs that might have a picture of her mom. So she goes back to her place to do that. But the album that she takes from her dad is just a bunch of pictures of him that shows that he was always kind of like a annoying jerk because he like walks through a girl's sandcastle as a kid and then he was like seemingly harassing two girls when he was like in high school or something like any photo bomb <laughs> a couple taking a picture so he almost seems to be kind of an annoying selfish person. Anyway, they get into a, a fight over trying to find an album with pictures of her mom. And they do find an album called Me and My Wife. But this album ends up containing photos with Ryunosuke, her dad, with a bunch of different women. And it turns out that after her mom left her, like, her dad was very concerned, quote-unquote, about her not having a mother. So he begged any women who came to the beach cafe as customers to give her muttering and like take photos with them and he also tried very hard to forget her mother and so he has he has like completely forgotten what she looks like and of <laughs> course you know escape frustrated just decides to go live with the more emotions for a while because she can't handle her dad's <laughs> crap anymore but on the same yeah. like talk show program 
that he was on earlier to yell for Kyoko. Like, he, we see that he has also gone on this program to yell for Rino's kid to come out. Which is kind of like a, a another funny, like, kind of capper to this little mini arc. This is, um... I kind of do like the gag that he tried so hard to forget, and then he just i managed to completely forget her. Like, yeah. mission successful. You know, on the grand scheme of terrible things Mr. Fujinami is guilty of, you know, this at least is kind of like a funny little twist. That he, he generally yeah. forgot her because he tried to, and you can at least in this case maybe attributed it to this his wife leaving her did have like an effect on him emotionally, and so he did like try to forget and put that out of his mind, and then he did succeed. Yeah, looking back at his early childhood, he really was a jerk. Like he's yeah. he's always been a selfish jerk. All right, we'll go on to uh, chapter ten, wretched uh, Shutaro. Another two. So this is a um, another two parter. Um, this explains some things, and there's a bit of time travel involved, which I always love. Basically, we start off with uh, Mendo trying to cure himself of his claustrophobia by locking himself in giant pots, but he can't handle it and he just breaks out of them. Uh, so Ryoko is pretending to be concerned, so he sends the um, the Kuroko to the Moroboshis, uh, and they all just turn up at Mendo's and start eating his food, because of course you would. <laughs> Uh, they're not really concerned with with Mendo. However, they do. They're curious as to what he's doing. Uh, and then Lum comes up with this great, fantastic plan of going back in time to see why he's claustrophobic. So they all go back in time to when uh, Mendo was um, a small boy, uh, and Mendo was a jerk back then as well. <laughs> <laughs> and he immediately whacks Mendo on little Mendo. Immediately whacks. Teen Mendo on the head with his wooden sword. Yeah, basically they kind of, kind of almost kidnap, uh, like yeah. little Shutaro here. Yeah, and you know he's um, he's kind of hanging out with them, and he's just being a jerk to his future self. Well, of course, he doesn't know it's his future self, um, but even Mendo is kind of uh, a, a bit angry at it, like how jerky his younger self is. Ataru and Mendo get captured. As oh, wait, the important younger... detail that we do find out, though, is that they come back to a stage in which Mendo has not developed his phobia because they try trapping him in a bell, but he just continues yelling. Like, he's not perturbed by it at all. So Yeah. And there's also a really fun yeah, little gag of, like, you know, they're picking on little Mendo, and then Shinobu whisks him away, and then he says, hey, I like you, you can be my wife. And then that makes Shinobu, like, very excited, so she tries to pester him, and go, hey, Mendo, did you hear that? Did you hear that? And Mendo is, like, trying to feign ignorance of, like... Because, huh, what? You know, yeah? Yeah, little Mendo's promise. <laughs> Did Didn't hear a thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it is It is kind of cute. We got, you kind of see um, uh, Shinobu's kind of um, motherly side kind of coming out while she's uh, taking care of Shitaru here. I, d I do love the fact that Lum just kind of brings a giant bell out of Hammer Space, effectively. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and yeah, as, at the end of the uh, the chapter, uh, Ataru and Mendo are captured. You know, thinking that they would be kidnappers. They're actually burying them in the ground. <laughs> uh, so yeah. this is, you know, trying to fix things with time travel uh, is just such a, a flippant Lum thing to do. 
Uh, she just kind of brings out like a tiny little time machine from her bra, attaches it to a pot, and off you go. She's tried this before with Ataru too, like trying to discover the root of his lechery and try to improve him as a person as a little kid so he wouldn't turn out that way as a teen. Mm. And he failed at that attempt too. So I don't know why she thought this time would be any different. And as we see, <laughs> well, let's just get into the next chapter, but then going yeah. back in time probably only made things worse for Mendo in the present. Because we're in chapter 11 now, frenzied Shutaro, and little Mendo <laughs> riding his little wooden horse in his room. Like, he has tied Ataru and Mendo up in chains and shoots flaming arrows at them. Mendo very impressively catches them with his teeth and with his change. But uh, and meanwhile, Ataru just broke free. He just slipped out of the chains, being this sneaky, sly little devil that he is. And he takes advantage of Mendo being tied up to assist little Mendo in punishing his future self, like beating him with a hammer and whatnot. <laughs> Meanwhile, Long, Shinobu, and Rinosuke kind of ambush a bunch of guards and steal their clothes. There's a neat detail where Lum uses some sort of shrinking machine to shrink the clothes to be a perfect fit to them. And I must say, this is one of my favorite looks for these characters. They all look super cool in these suits. Yeah, they look really awesome. Yeah. They infiltrate Mendo's guards, and while they discover them while they are torturing Mendo, like, they bring in, like, this giant bell that they're going to trap Mendo inside. Shinobu acts and kind of reveals their cover by very loudly, like, beating one of the guards with, like, a death that she also seemingly, I guess, maybe <laughs> drew out of hammer space death space or whatever but that leads to a cool <laughs> fight where i just love shinobu throws multiple deaths at these guards that she suddenly has that is suddenly around her she suddenly brings from hammer space but it's a cool action scene meanwhile mendo's trapped in the bell and ataru is picking on little mendo and that makes little mendo mad so he threatens to blow up the bell with dynamite and Otaru goes him on, because he doesn't care if Mendo gets blown up. But, just in the nick of time, Mendo manages to crack open the bell from the inside. This giant metal bell, he cracks open. And this is such a sight that it causes Otaru to have his eyes bulge, like, in disbelief. And this is a <laughs> this is an iconic, like, moment image, because, you know, they've made figures of Mendo breaking out of this bell. Like, yeah, it is a, it is a very, really cool visual. Absolutely. But Mendo is, you know, they attributed he's Mendo... Pissed. Yeah, he's pissed. <laughs> they attributed Mendo being able to bring out the bell as a result of his special training, having made him build up a bunch of tremendous arm strength. So he chases after little Mendo and Taru, and they go into this room with all these clay pots, and Mendo has an axe in hand, and he's like, bashing these pots as Ataru and Little Mendo are like jumping chop pot to pot trying to avoid him. And this deeply traumatizes Little Mendo who's like cowering in fear. And Mendo is about to open the pot that has Little Mendo inside when Shinobu and the rest kind of say, hey, you know, that's enough. Let's just go home. And so <laughs> just in the time, it spares Little Mendo, but that this experience has deeply traumatized him, like, hiding in the dark spaces, hearing, like, all these jars being 
smashed around him as he's being chased. Like, that is left indelible scars. And so, while the characters go back into the present, lamenting the fact they couldn't find the root cause of what Mendo's claustrophobia was, they go back to a scene from the past, and we see the guards uncover little Mendo from the pot that wasn't smashed. And he's just crying. He's like, Connick catchphrase, wow, it's dark, it's mad, I'm scared. This entire traumatic incident, Mendo himself, his future self, is the root cause, is the reason <laughs> why he developed his claustrophobia, why he is so traumatized and afraid of the dark. It's a cyclical paradox, effectively. Yeah. Which is which is fantastic that they used time travel to try and cure himself, and they instigated it in the first place. So he's, he's basically created a holding pattern for himself where he'll never be able to cure it. Yeah. Um, I do love in this chapter, um, I, I, I do love the fact that his future self is responsible, but I just love how pissed off Mendo is. Oh my like he's God. really... He is really not in control of his faculties. His expressions um, are so tormented. fierce. Like, he, yeah, he looks he's... generally frightening in the panel where he's opening the lid to the pot that Little Mendo is inside. Like, his face looks generally, like, scary. And Little Mendo's expressions, too, his fearful expressions, like, they look like the expression of someone who is truly frightened for their life. Like, He's cowering, he's crying. Like, you feel bad for little Mendo. You kind of do, by the end of it. And, like, Mendo is... This is the only time, I think, where Mendo is genuinely scary. Mm-hmm. Like, he, he is just... He's just gone so far off his rocker uh, that, you know, he's going to hurt his past self. <laughs> <laughs> and, like, they, they... Just knocking him out and him coming to later and he's fine uh, is also kind of, uh, you know, back to normal is kind of good as well. He's not kind of pissed off anymore. Um, so obviously, you know, everything's back to normal. Mm-hmm. And that is the end of the first uh, volume. Mm-hmm. Oh, sorry, the middle, the middle of, um, middle of volume nine. Uh, they're kind of two volumes combined. Yeah, really. two halves. This was the original volume 17. And again, with the end of this half, uh, you know, we are officially halfway into the series. So, 17 volumes remain, including volume 18, we'll get into just now. But to also touch upon the data file attached with this, they have them basically on the various ways Tobiki residents communicate with each other. Mainly mentioning Ataru really likes using phones to communicate with people, mainly like call girls and stuff. Ten likes writing letters, especially to Sakura. But also, but really, that's for way of communication to a lot of different people. And the town residents, they're very prone to gossip about, you know, everything happening around the town. So it's a pretty simple account calling and just noticing and reflecting on the ways Tobihi residents tend to communicate with each other. Then we have a count column on the number of school events that happen in the hmm. series, and this is an interesting one because there are 25 school events over the course of the series and the count column writer says, you know, if we were to spread these across the three years of high school, that would average out to about eight a year. However, because time the series 
is kind of stuck within one year. Really, you know, only one year at best passes in the series because the characters don't really move on to the next grade level, even though multiple mm. versions of the same holiday happen, right, in the series. Yeah, so, it's, a, it's a shifting timeline, so... yeah. So really, if we were just to consider this all happens within one year, then out of like generally a school year is like thirty nine forty weeks. It's like two thirds of the weeks of a school year have like school events, <laughs> and a lot of them are, are nonsense events that are just made up by the teachers to oh absolutely like, you know to punish the students as well. Yeah, they're all spontaneous on behalf of either students or faculty, especially as we go later on, and as we're going to get into, like, the principal will come up with all sorts of off-the-cuff random events, just for the hell of it. So we'll go, we'll go into the next uh, chapter, chapter 12, Cosmo the Teacher, CAO2. Yeah. Oh my god, another amazing cover illustration with Love yeah. and her friends all, like, kind of holding each other and in between them and the space between them is like just space and then just kind of like this black light which I think is to indicate CO2 kind of like him uh, illuminating that light as I guess he's speeding towards them so like it's a really really cool illustration. This um, this starts off quite nicely with uh, Lamo Yuki, Ben Ten and Ran all having tea together. They're at a cafe and they're all um, they're all just kind of catching up and hanging out which is, it's nice to see these four friends uh, who are obviously, you know, you've, you learn in this, um, in this chapter, I think you've, you already knew this previously, that they all went to school together. Yeah. And it turns out when they were in uh, elementary school, um, they were all little shits. Yeah. <laughs> they were basically a gang who hated their teacher and uh, who was, is basically like a giant chalkboard eraser chalkboard eraser yeah like a, a chalkboard duster and basically they try and murder this guy yeah <laughs> they try and drop a weight on him you know this is just because he's trying to discipline them and then eventually uh they all get in trouble for it uh you find out the dynamic between the friends which i find super interesting which is oyuki is like the one who likes to sit back and watch all of this and thus she doesn't really get in trouble. Yeah. Ben Ten and Lum are the what like the instigators, like the, the real troublemakers, the real bad people, who of course drag poor innocent run into their schemes and she gets punished as well. Yeah. We've all been part of a friendship group like this. I'm probably ashamed to say that I'm probably in the Ben Ten camp of causing a lot of trouble. <laughs> And setting up pranks and the like. Uh, and they effectively manage to... They actually try and blow him up with a rocket launcher. <laughs> doesn't phase him. They steal a spaceship. Uh, he chases after them and gets trapped on a planet, which has a large spike. So that, like the handle of the duster, uh, like kind of like his belt, basically yeah. uh, gets jammed on one of the spikes. And they just do a runner. It turns out that he's escaped. And he's looking to punish them. He bursts through the window and paps them in the face yeah. with so his duster. Chalk dust just has gotten all over them. And the poor, like, restaurant waiters also got caught in the crossfire. And they're just also <laughs> just believe, like, a giant blackboard eraser just came and 
crashed into Arthur and crushed us. Now, Yuki, of course, has gotten off completely unscathed. Yeah. And I do, like, this is, has been a form of punishment, I suppose you could say, in the past where teachers have, like, you shouldn't throw a duster at children. No. But it is something that has happened in the past in Japan. And also, sometimes they use them to, like, basically, like, tap them on the head with the with the chalk dust and it gets in their hair and stuff like that, if you forgot your homework and the like. Yeah. So this was basically his punishment. Uh, you know, they tried to basically murder this guy, <laughs> stranded him on a planet, and then he came back and basically just dusted them. Yeah, and the grand thing is... They kind of got off pretty easy for kind of the violent stuff they were trying to pull. Like, they're lucky yeah. that at best he just kind of gives them one, like, little pat with his backside and sprays chalk dust all over them. But, the anime yeah. adaption of this episode is... kind of fleshes things out a lot oh, more. Oh, yeah. I mean, it does something I, I really, really like amazing <laughs> with CO2 and Onsen Mark befriending each other, yeah. having solidarity over having to deal with troublesome students. And that's such an amazing connection. That's so hot they expanded upon. But yeah, like the anime version of this goes even crazier. Like the first half of the episode is this chapter and the second half just like extends it to create another really cool fight sequence between Lum's gang and CEO 2 and also includes like him and Ansel are being pals dealing with the script. I, I do like it when when uh, Onsen Mark kind of finds someone to to share his pain. Yeah, and look, I really did like seeing them as kids. Oh yeah, like I, as just the dynamics, pretty similar. Like they've obviously grown up, but they were all little shits, and I just love that. Yeah, I mean, actually, I always love Lum's friend group chapters, like you know, Lum, Ayuki, Benten, Ron chapters. Like they have such an amazing dynamic. I feel like, you know, the series could really thrive on just chapters focusing on them because they have just so strong personalities and relationships with each other in the group. But I mm. think this really does establish the dynamics between them in a more concrete way. This is the first time in which we see that Ron was a part of this friend group. We previously did know that Lom, Bet, and Ayuki were... Friend, school friends, and we knew that Ron and Lum were friends, but we didn't know that she was also part of the same group of friends Lum had with Ayuki and Menten. And this also establishes further kind of, you know, that dynamic between them. But yeah, we knew that Ron was kind of like a wishy-washy kind of shyer kid that kind of was cajoled by the more brash and headstrong Lum into getting into shenanigans of the kid. Yeah, Ron really never stood a chance. Like, yeah. her home life sucks, and her school life sucks. It's no wonder that she's, she's kind of coming into adulthood completely messed up. Yeah, and we see that she, Lum and Benton are on the same wavelength in terms of, you know, their type of shenanigans. But this is also the first time we really get this sense of her, this type of personality of Ayuki's, that she is this kind of, like, very aware observant type of person but she's also manipulative mm. in the sense that she like knows how to step back out of a situation so that she won't get into trouble like she is kind of the silent schemer type like she is very 
willing to like watch as her friends kind of get into mischief and see how it pans out, whether it falls flat on their faces or whether they succeed, so long as she doesn't get hurt or cry to cross crossfire mm. and can like kind of push off any responsibility that sounds good to her. Like I do like adding that extra wrinkle to her personality that fleshes it out even more. And that gets expanded upon in future stories of this vein. In which you know yeah. Love's gang interacts, we see how Yuki's character and how her kind of like feigned kind of gentlewomanly persona kind of plays off and gets her out of the trouble that her friends often find themselves in. Hmm. So next we've got Chapter Thirteen: Mysterious Ego Death Potion. Yeah. So Cherry concocts a potion that is meant to basically help someone banish their worldly desires. He's looking for basically a human test subject. He's made it in the form of this Tayaki. Sakura isn't buying it. Katatsu Neko, he gives, you know, some Tayaki to him. But he is skeptical, so Katatsu Neko instead passes it off to Ataru, who very gladly and uncritically and unthinkably just pops it right in his mouth. He immediately gets sleepy, which causes Kadatsu Neko to just chuck his half away and carry Ataru home. And while Ataru's at sleep at home, like his worldly desires of manifestation of it, it basically, in kind of an material ghostly form, kind of leaves his body, and so now he's floating the air. He thinks he's in a dream, so he just goes off in the city to cause mischief. He can be seen by other people, so Kadatsu Neko notices him, Lum notices him, like... In his interaction with Lum, he still thinks he's in a dream, so he tries to make Lum disappear from a dream, but instead he himself disappears. So that just takes him somewhere else, and then he basically goes around trying to spy on a bunch of different ones. So he starts off with Sakura, and he like hides in Sakura's backwater where she's trying to take a bath. That alerts her and Cherry into knowing that the worldly desires potion worked on Taro, and so now his worldly are have taken form and are pulling about the city. He then goes to, you know, crafts up, you know, Shinobu's room, and, like, sleep in her bed, and, like, he leaves that after she kind of makes a fit. This is also interesting, because this is the first time in a while we see, like, Shinobu's parents since, like, the very early chapters of the series. Another yeah, similar yeah, situation. Very, very early on. Another similar situation, too, like, when the last time we saw her parents, like, she was, like, freaking out because Atari was, like, spying on her in a, you know, kind of... In the bath, yeah. Yeah. So, very similar situation. This has been a long time. But, yeah, everyone's congregated at Atari's house, noticing and sleeping, and, like, trying to figure out, like, where his worldly desires are. Like, they then decide to try and exercise his worldly desires, and Ataru's mom joins in, because, like, if they drive his worldly desires away, maybe Ataru will finally become a decent human being. And so they succeed in, like, like wrapping him up and send him floating off away. But, unfortunately, even though they hope that, you know, now things will be more peaceful, Lum has caught Ataru's worldly desires and is just bringing him to school with her, like, he's tied up like a balloon, wrapped in all the... Yeah, he's kind of floating around. Guard. Yeah. <laughs> Meanwhile, his, like, physical body is still sound asleep, leading Atari's mom to believe, wait, were you solely animated just by your early desires? Wake up. 
I do like the ending to this chapter. Mm-hmm. Um, once again, this is one of those ones that's been expanded a bit more in the anime, and it's a bit more interesting, I think, rather than a one-off story here. But I do like the fact that Ataru is just completely his his desires. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, you can't... You separate him, and that's it. That's his entire personality, is just his worldly desires. Yeah. Other than that, he's just asleep. He just doesn't have anything left in him. This was fun. I do like this. And as you said, it is kind of interesting to see Shinobu's parents again, who were never named. Mm-hmm. And they, I'm not even sure whether you see them much in the anime, actually. I think you see them once. Yeah, I wonder. It is, it is kind of fun um, that uh, Lum is just like whistling with uh, Ataru trapped on a rope like yeah. a balloon. She's, she's just got this really weird vacant look on her face. I like how she no, I like how cheerfully she is. Like she's like humming like musically. I think she's very happy to have Ataro kind of like captive with her. Yeah. Yeah. Precisely. So next we got uh, chapter 14, Ton's elopement. So Tonchan is once again trying to challenge Mendo to a duel and he's hanging out with a Donkey. Yeah, I because... love his pipe smoking donkey Hayabusa, who's like clearly like kind of you know not taking Ton and his like posturing very seriously. Like he immediately like grabs Han's bow and he like fires the arrow himself, and Ton's like trying to to boast him. Oh, you know, not bad. Your arm still needs to work, of course, which is like you know <laughs> uh, casting cart before a horse here because. Tom could barely have the strength to, to fire the arrow. I uh, like his interactions with this donkey. So the arrow gets fired. Kyoko, uh, who's just uh, meandering through town with her Kuroko, picks it up. She uh, immediately senses there's some fun to be had, so she goes to where Mendo is at school. And of course, you've got, uh, you've got Tom trying to scale down the side of a building to just pop into the classroom to challenge Mendo, except that Kyoko is basically already one step ahead of him, has put octopus masks on all of the all of the people in, in the classroom. Mm-hmm. Lum actually tries to help him here, which is interesting. Um, she also kind of senses that uh, something fun is going to happen. Uh, so she kind of helps him. He bursts through and uh, it's... It's a little weird, this one, I have to say. Kyoko is, um, masks on. Of course, you can tell who Mendo is. And she thinks she's trying to convince everyone that Ton has proposed to her so they can elope. Mendo is not having any of it until he decides, eh, this is good, as long as you make Ryoko happy. Ton, throughout this entire chapter, is just, like, completely bamboozled about what's going on. Very confused, yeah. basically gets dragged away, and when she gets home, uh, Mendo goes, "But you eloped," and he goes, and she goes, eh, "That's just a joke. I was kidding." And Ton is basically being tossed aside in the garbage. <laughs> yeah, he threw him in the garbage. Like she is so cold. Like she, he is just a tool for her amusement. And when she has had enough of him, she just throws him away. Like my gosh. <laughs> So callous. One detail I really like is that 
Ryoko has her Kuroko, like, fan butterfly around her in her room. Like, we see this detail, not just in this chapter, but also in the previous Cherry Blossom viewing chapter. Like, I just find that also an amusing touch, that she <laughs> tries to keep up this aesthetic of, like, having butterflies, like, flapping around her. <laughs> yeah. She's all about theatrics. And yeah. I kind of feel bad for Ton in all of this. Like, I do. She just has him wrapped up, and Ton is just such an idiot that he just he can't he can't catch a break throughout any of this. I reckon Ton is kind of a little bit more fun in the anime in a lot of these chapters that have been adapted. Uh, you kind of he kind of personality is a little bit more fleshed out, but he's just such a foil to everyone's the butt of everyone's joke. He's discarded like garbage, and even his donkey. Beats the crap out of him. Yeah, I love that moment where, like, he's trying to whip his donkey or whatever, and his donkey just, like, does not take it. He, like, boxes him right back. Like, he wears <laughs> boxing gloves, he punches him, and then he, he makes him pull the card. He makes Saw pull the card and whips him. Like, honestly, good on that donkey. Like, but hmm. yeah, that's very funny. Like, poor Don. Like, he can't catch a break. Uh, another detail with Ryoko I like is, like, hmm. there's a moment where she says, ready my horse in this chapter. I like how she doesn't really have an actual horse. It's like her Kuroko, like, put on, like, this horse bust that they she mounts and they, you know, carry her around in. Like, I like, I like that detail, too. Like, she's just so over the top. I do like it. I love the theatrics. I love this. There's a certain kind of Monty Python-esque kind of comedy mm -hmm. to what she does. Uh, so the next chapter is chapter 15, A Night Alone. Yeah, now this is a big chapter because Lum and Ataru are going to spend a night together. Ataru's parents got a one-night vacation that they won in a lotto. And so now Ataru and Lum are going to be home for the night. And that, of course, makes Mendo and the rest of Boys and Clowns kind of upset. They don't want anything to happen between Ataru and Lum. Ten is also being tasked to watch over Lum and Ataru, and Ataru's grateful for Ten, because he doesn't want to be alone with Lum either. But, yeah, even though after school, Ataru tries to go off on his own to kind of grab dinner out, because he knows that Lum is going to cook up something inedibly spicy, which she does. She uses power tools like a hammer and like a blowtorch, and she lights a match and explodes. Like, she has created an unfathomably spicy dish. But just before Ataro at a restaurant is about to eat, like, a more edible for consumption food for humans, like, the magnet that Lum kind of stuck on Ataro kind of attracts him all the way back to the house. Even though he, like, tries to grab onto a pole, the pull of the magnet is so strong that it just causes him to go careening all the way back to the house, pole and toe. Like, the entire, like, electrical pool. It's just not crashing into the house. But it's funny. She's drawn up a bat for Ataru and Ten, and then Ataru goes to eat the dinner, but he tries to refuse best as possible. And that's when Mindo and the rest of the boys break in, and they cause the table to turn over and her food to spill. She gets mad at them, but she salvages a piece of the food to feed your Ataru. And as expected, he has the usual reaction of, like, he's clasping his throat. It's incredibly spicy. But then they decide to go to bed, and 
Mendo and Co. are envisioning like him being a sleaze and trying to undress Lum in bed, which is kind of the opposite of what Atari was seeing at this point. Atari does not consider yeah. <laughs> or want this. So they try to like tie up Atari to prevent that scenario, but Lum takes Atari back and says, you know, they don't need to be protecting her purity. Her body belongs to her darling. And that kind of leaves the boys <laughs> all like speechless and a little tearful on the part of Mendo. And this also gets Atari to reflect, like, wait a minute. Like, so what is going to happen if we do cross that line? Like, if we do, then Lum's going to go out of control. And if you want to try to get the early girls, and he realizes, wait a minute, that's already what's happening. Nothing's going to change if even if I do cross this line with Lum. So that gets him a little more excited about the prospect. And so they do go up to their bedroom. He, like, the boys all go chasing after him, but, he, you know, he uses, like, the open door trick to trick them into, like, <laughs> running right out his window. And so he's actually kind of nervous, though. Like, he's fidgeting. He's he's a little awkward about the idea, the prospect of sleeping together with Lum. But, you know, obviously no real hanky-panky is going to happen. Lum dresses him up in electrical pajamas because she re- releases electricity sometimes when she sleeps. And so... Matara is just kind of crying, embarrassed, like wearing this electrical suit. This one is indeed like releasing electrical discharge <laughs> as they're sleeping, and yeah, like the boys outside are screaming, like yelling, like what? What's happening? You know, they don't know what's happening. And then Ten's also very cutely, I guess, sleeping in midair. It's just like asleep in midair. We're seeing so that's pretty funny. <laughs> and we see on the wall, like. This is an interesting detail. On the wall, we see, like, pictures of Kyoko from Maiso Makoku. So it's just something I know. Yeah, you do. Yeah. This is a very kind of sweet chapter mm-hmm. by the end in a lot of ways. Of course, they're not going to sleep together. This is not that kind of manga. It is interesting to see Ataru kind of entertain that possibility by the end of the chapter, though. But I do love the fact that it is the furthest thing on his mind at the point where he wants to escape. He doesn't want any th- to be alone with Lum at all, which is so, it's just such an Ataru thing to do here is to try and escape from Lum. He, you know, he, everyone thinks that he's going to go assault Lum and he just wants to get as far away as humanly possible, which I think is just, it's a fantastic gag that, uh, you know, like a teenage boy is trying to get away from his, hot girlfriend mm-hmm. when you know they're they're having a night alone together though ataru is kind of drawn very sweetly as he's fidgeting at the end mm-hmm. and lum just wants to spend time with him like i don't think she was really thinking about it either yeah. she just wanted to like sleep in the same bed and to her like that has progressed their relationship because it's the first time they slept in the same bed together yeah. and ataru gets nothing <laughs> It ends up being a very sweet, cute chapter. Like, I like seeing kind of the, you know, kind of awkward side of Ataro. Like, when, you know, he mm. is confronted with this possibility that, oh, we might have sex. Like, he is nervous. Like, you know, even though he presents himself as, like, a hornball sleeve, like, when push comes to shove, like, I don't know if he would, like, like, if he himself is also, like, ready to cross the line. You know, that also kind of yeah. gets in and, like, you know, a, a little anxious. Ataru is a man who is obsessed with the hunt. Yeah, yeah. Rather than catching the prey itself, I think. 
and he's he kind of really does show um that he's might not be ready for this mm-hmm. you know to go that far which uh the anime adaption of this is also kind of quite funny and it yeah. hits most of the same story beats and has a uh, oh Magane's um, very, very strange oh uh, vision God. of um, Return of the Jedi. Yeah, of the minute-long <laughs> Return of the Jedi freak-out parody montage sequence is just, like, insane. Well, it's just so indulgent of the part of Oshi, and I like it so much. Yeah, the anime <laughs> version is, like, a real street, too. This is definitely a certain scenario in which, like, the stormtrooper characters make it a particular like you know them reacting to situations like this really uh shine yeah now next we got a two partner on ryunosuke and i really want to just comment on this like cover illustration because it's like super cool like ryunosuke's look mm. here and she's making like a real like cool like badass modely pose and she has a good fashion to her with like this crop top with like her sleeves rolled up and her shirt like having, like, Ryu written on it and cool text. She has a fierce expression. She has, like, these unbuttoned jeans and, like, the like her sash, like, her binding is, her like, bindings. fluttering around mm. her in a cool way. And, like, you know, she's against, like, this glassy like, door that has, like, brazier like, written on it. And then there's this graffiti of Lum, like, looking at her. Like, again, I like that that way to incorporate Lum or Taro, like, Takashida is, like, they're in, like, the background of the world, rather than, like, the characters, like, being physically there. Like, their the presence is there by being a part of, like, a background element. So, it's just such a yeah. cool illustration. It really is. I'd love I'd love to see the original art for that, actually. It's, it's so rare you get to see any of the original pieces of art for these covers, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, so, this one... This one starts with uh, all of the girls changing. Ryunosuke walks in. They freak out for a minute because they think it's a it's a guy, but it's just Ryunosuke. However, um, she doesn't mind because today she's saved up enough money in secret to try and buy a brazier. She meets uh, Shinobu along the way, and it turns out she's being tailed by a bunch of gang members. Including one dressed up in a dog costume that has little dogs <laughs> written on it. <laughs> Uh, so, Ryunosuke only has about 400 yen. It's accidentally tr- mistranslated here as 40 yen. So, uh, 400 yen is about $4. But it's not really enough to buy a bra. The um, the three gang members confront Shinobu. And they are under the misconception that Ryunosuke is a guy and they're a couple. Mm-hmm. And they're trying to goad them to split up. And we find out later that the reason why they want Ryu and Shinobu to split up is because their boss at Butsumetsu Academy, Butsumetsu is like, is like the unlucky day of the week that is named after like the date Buddha died. So it's, that's the meaning behind the name there. But uh, yeah, so, you know, the boss at Butsumetsu, he is interested in Shinobu and wants to date her. But like, the grunts, you know, they don't really care one way or another. It's like, they just are kind of being forced to tail to Nobu and take a bunch of pictures. And their plan is like, you know, she doesn't want to date the boss. And she 
It's not interested. And they respect and acknowledge that. So their plan instead is like to just show the boss pictures of Shinobu Rinosuke on a date so that he will see that, you know, she already has a boyfriend. And so, you know, he'll back off. And Rinosuke agrees to do this because they promise her a bra in return for basically going on a date with Shinobu approving this. Uh, we skipped over it, but there's this really fun sequence in the middle of the chapter where, like, Rinosuke is trying to raid her dad's wallet to get more cash, and they're just a bunch of booby tracks, like, like pop up a snake, and then flowers, flags, spits water at her, and then, like, there's a creepy doll that just says, My name is Rika, my name is Rika. <laughs> and that does generally freak shit out. <laughs> like, it's. Uh, freaky nose gap, like it's a, it's a funny sequence, but yeah, it is good. I do like the reveal of the um the gang leader from the from the rival school as well. Mm. Is basically just like a bold thug yeah. with massive lips, and, and yeah. Shinobu just says, "No way, I like humans." <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, he does look super non-human. He he doesn't look far removed from a Depaya alien, especially with how it's. Like sunglasses, like they kind of look like the eyes of those little fish aliens. But yeah, they do. They they. It is kind of reminiscent of a Dapia. This is a very fun like design for this recurring character. Like this guy comes back to later on. <laughs> it's a funny design to see pop up. But yeah, like now we're getting to the date between Ryu and Shinobu, and mm. you know, a chest full of longing part two. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, the boss of Butsumetsu has, like, just this giant frame photo of Shinobu. Like, he has some real Tatewake Kuna vibes here. He's just, like, screaming <laughs> at her, like, saying, I love you, I love you. His grunts are trying to get through to him, saying, you know, Shinobu has a boyfriend already. They just give up because he just keeps screaming. And so they just go to do their picture-taking plan. What I like is that they're still in... They're still yeah. in their costumes. They're yeah. still dressed up as a garbage can, a dog, and a, a and a bush. bush. Like, even really... though they're just hanging out at the at the clubhouse. <laughs> they're just in their full costumes. It's not even their disguises, I guess. It's just always <laughs> dressed like that. But yeah, Rinosuke's dad, Mister Rinosuke, he's excited about you know saying going on a date with a girl, and he's like praying to all the mutters, the various mutters that you know he uh, took pictures of. And, like, Rinosuke's going on the date, and she's just super jazzed about this idea of having a bra. And it's interesting. Like, there's a lot of, you know, shipping between you and Shinobu here. Like, it's very, like, a queer code of, like, relationships throughout. Because, like, they're all kind of quite in protest of, like, how attracted they really are. Because Shinobu has this moment where she's like, oh, man, Rinosuke really is awfully handsome. Too bad she's not really a boy. But, you know, she does kind of get a little mm. flustered when Yosuke goes in for a kiss in the heat of a moment when they try to shoot a kiss shot. And they they do really protest too much. Like, Yosuke, don't tell me you don't, you're really into girls. And, like, she says, oh, no way, I'm straight. But, sure, I believe that. Mm. But, yeah, I mean, uh, so we get a bunch of these scenarios in which, like, Yosuke and Shinobu are kind of awkward around each other. And Ataru is also interfering and trying to kind of butt in on the date, and he tries to attend Rinosuke with an alternative front hook bra, but, yeah, like, they continue trying to take the pictures, and, like, 
Mr. Fujinami is taunting them and saying, oh, Rinosuke, you should introduce your bride to Mother. And, like, you know, that causes another, like, confusion of, like, you know, them trying to, you know, reassure each other, wait, no, I, I don't really want to get married. And she was like, no, I, I really like the boys, you know. And then the Butsumetsu boss comes in, and Shinobu just immediately punches him out. But that doesn't deter him at all. Like, the gang members of his, like, they take Katara's front hook while we try to pass it off as Shinobu's. And Rinosuke and the guy, they get into a fight over the bra. Like, he holds it in between his teeth, and, like, the tug of war is between Rinosuke pulling on it and him pulling on it, with it clenched in between his teeth. But they rip the bra, and that's a shame for Rinosuke. But there's still Ataru's, like, front hook bra, but Mr. Fujinami burns it up, and so Ryo is left brawless. But then, you know, in the heat of the moment, like, she, she tries to, like, undress Shinobu to take her bra, which, you know, is kind of crossing the line. Like, I don't know why yeah. she was trying to undress her friend to take her bra, but, you know, Shinobu rightfully kind of slaps her, and she's kind of walks up fuming as the Butsumetsu guy is, like, getting excited over having half of what he thinks is Shinobu's bra, while... You know, Atari was angry at Mr. Fujinami for burning the bra he was going to give to Ryunosuke. And I like Lum's little dig at Shinobu. It's like, you know, Shinobu's bra would be too small for Ryunosuke anyway. (laughs) (laughs) I do like that snide comment at the end there. This, um... This is this is a fun chapter because the the date between Ryunosuke and Shinobu is like a real date. Yeah. Like a real kind of awkward teenage date that you would have had, like between two people who are going out for the first time. So it's got a genuine sort of like authenticity to it. Like it, it's kind of like feels like a genuine sort of date. So I really like that vibe. I think this chapter suffers just from too many characters. Like with Mr. Fujinami kind of interfering and then the gang leader interfering and then Ataru interfering as well it kind of loses a bit of focus in my opinion mm. and Ryunosuke at the end of this chapter is it just it goes too far yeah i don't really like um, where like Ryunosuke yeah when she tries to grab shinobu's bra and tries to undress her yeah that's a boundary i find it hard to believe Ryunosuke would cross it feels like an out of character moment for her so yeah i didn't really appreciate that yeah, it's it's just a bit, a little bit scummy there, and I know it's in aid of I'm not a pervert. I just wanted your bra. Like it's it's that, you know, it's to aid that punchline, but it, it just doesn't sit right, and it doesn't look right, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I again, I I appreciate you know the queer subtext between you know Sky and Shinobu, and in general, you know Ryu as a character we've seen throughout like since her introduction, like girls fawning over her. Like, her character as, like, kind of this princey, like, handsome butch-like woman character who gets the attention of, like, a lot of girls who form crushes on her. Like, it's rooted in, like, the Class S literature tradition and, like, the formation of, like, what has become, like, the some modern Yuri tropes and sensibilities. Uh, you know, again, there's a lot to talk about with Ryunosuke when it comes to, like, you know, queer subtext and coding and stuff like that. And that's why I want to do a real podcast to just gush over that. But, uh, 
yeah, like it's yeah, just I think a lot that doing the stuff. characters individually at yeah. one stage is probably something we'll explore. I yeah. would imagine it's a lot of interesting stuff, but yeah, there's also again Takashi makes some real missteps in it too. Yeah, you know it's you know it there there are missteps along the way, mm-hmm. but I think it um you know it, it it is explored very interestingly. Uh now we are onto what is actually a pretty lengthy storyline. Uh, for the end of this volume. Yeah, the longest to date. The longest to date. This is the first, like, mm. storyline that's, like, five chapters. It's, like, half this volume. It is uh, Miss uh, Tomibiki Contest Preliminary Round is the first chapter. Uh, basically, Ataru and the rest of the boys are taking votes, and they're trying to determine who is the the best girl in the school, effectively. And what I really like about this is that they're tallying them up on the board because Ataru tries to hide yeah. it from Onsen Mark uh, by eating it, but instead he, uh, you know, whacks him, spits it out, and then starts reading it out. And Kosuke is up on the board <laughs> tallying it up. The principal comes along and is excited by the idea of a beauty contest. So Ataru kind of is basically in charge of the uh, Miss Tomobiki High beauty contest. And the principal really gets fired up. This is the kind of the first time you see him develop a personality, oh, I yeah. suppose, of his passion for education, <laughs> so to speak. I think we've seen it before, but like this is the first time we really see like his real eccentric, eccentric like inclination to hold like these big contests to like evaluate and challenge the students to showing off the best of their potential and pushing them to the best of their potential. It's, you know, he's the one who spurs on this contest. Like, he has been considering who is the number one girl at Tomobiki High, and he's taking it very seriously, too. Like, he, like, there's this visual Mm -hmm. of, like, him, he literally gets fired up. He's very passionate (laughs) about education. (laughs) Yeah. Another detail I like is that um, when they're tallying names of who people are, you know, being voted for, like, again, we have, like, Kyoko and Kozue uh, from Maizuna Koku as characters that people are voting for in this class game, even though they're not, yeah. you know, characters in your Yatsubis. That's very interesting. Maybe they are Tobiki High alums. It's, it's, it's possible. I, I do like the, the crossovers only ever happen in one direction, and that's, you know, because you can fit them into the wacky world of Urusei Yatsara. It doesn't seem to go in the other direction. I actually do direction. think there are, there are some references in Ikoku to Urusei Yatsara too. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Obviously, Takashi was drawing these at the same time, so it's yeah. fun. Like, she snuck in cameos references to her works between them. So after they've they've nailed it, uh, they've narrowed it down to nine students, and they start doing strength tests on them. And of course, all of the all of the main characters here are all really strong, so they all qualify. And the contestants are, of course, end up being Sakura, Shinobu, Lum, Ran, and Ryo, Ryonosuke. Yeah. It's worth noting that Ryu gets entered into this because all the freshman girls vote for Yunosuke. In part because they want to, you know, screw the boys for having this kind of sexist contest. But also, as we've seen before, a lot of the girls just really genuinely uh, have a crush on and love Yunosuke. And then also, Ron cheats at the strength test by using, like, a power-enhancing cast. 
And she <laughs> is definitely, as we see throughout this arc, she is the person who's playing dirty to scheme to win. Like, she also, like, how she got votes was that she kind of promised a bunch of boys that she would date them in exchange for votes. So she <laughs> literally did bribe people for votes. Which I like Ron's manipulative personality really playing off here. Alright, next we've got chapter 19, Miss Tomibiki Contest, Main Contest. Yeah. Uh, this uh... Great title illustration with Lum in the ring wearing like a performance uniform. Very, very wrestling-esque, I think yeah, it's fair to say. ribbons strewn about. It's like someone is throwing a roll of ribbons into the ring. Have you, have you, do you watch wrestling? Do you know anything about wrestling? Because I gotta say, I know nothing about wrestling. All I know about wrestling is secondhand from people who are big fans of it. Unfortunately, <laughs> I have never dug into it myself firsthand. No, it, um... It uh, it scares me the the kind of continuity you have to be aware of for something that looks absolutely ridiculous to my eyes. <laughs> I know the storylines are very complex. It's like there is no wonder why there's such an overlap between anime fans and wrestling fans because <laughs> wrestling is just live action <laughs> shown in anime. It it really is, <laughs> uh, and I I remember it it was it was very very popular like Hulk Hogan was very popular when I was growing up in the 80s I think and I think my parents probably forbade me to watch it because they thought wrestling was either number 1 too ridiculous or number 2 too violent <laughs> probably a combination of the both and by the time I was kind of it was kind of popular in high school again in the 90s I just looked at this stuff and just went this is absolutely ridiculous I just can't watch this it's a it's a stone too far for me <laughs> Well, I know Japan has a very popular wrestling scene, and so I would be curious to probably do the research on this to kind of figure out, like, is there anything specific Takahashi is parodying here? You know what? There probably is. Or it could be probably just like the general theme of the time as well. Mm -hmm. It's, um, yeah, look... All of this stuff is happening in the 80s, and there was there was certainly a very big wrestling movement in the 80s, and has been before and since then. But, you know, just like they have different eras in, like, Western wrestling, they have different eras in uh, Japanese wrestling as well, I think. Yeah. Uh, lots of people back in the 80s used to wear tiger masks and stuff like that, I Oh, think. inspired by the tiger mask anime manga franchise. Exactly, Yeah. There were there were a whole host of different animal uh, wrestlers. <laughs> I because some of the some of the shops you go to in Nakano Broadway are a mix of anime and wrestling, and they have a whole bunch of those wrestling masks out the front and pictures of old wrestlers. Yeah, so there's know, a, a big nostalgia boom for that as well. Yeah, you know, missed opportunity for Lum not to wear a tiger mask or team costume or to fight a tiger in this contest. That's true. I think that that may have been a little bit too close to copyright infringement, although I do know <laughs> that those two characters have appeared on t-shirts before. Yeah, I've seen it. They have Yeah, over. I think that's that goes for a very large amount of money on Yahoo Walk. <laughs> very, very large, I have to say. T-shirts are really weird because like, you'd think that, oh, you can reproduce those easily, but an authentic t-shirt, some of the most expensive merch you can buy, especially if they're from the 80s. Yeah, I can imagine. All right, so this um, this one we've got uh, we're all in the in the auditorium, the Tomobiki High Auditorium, which is massive. Mm -hmm. 
uh, we've got uh, Ataru as the DJ uh, proclaiming MC. that there is a prize money of about uh, 150,000 yen, which in... $1,500. Yeah, it is a lot of money. In the 80s, adjusting for inflation, that'd be about $2,500 to $3,000, oh. I'd imagine. So it'd be more than modern-day inflation would suggest. Mm. Yeah, in at least in our money, inflation doesn't really exist in Japan, which is once again a very odd sort of thing. When you you imagine that a quarter, you used to pay a quarter in America to play Space Invaders. In uh, Japan, it's always been a hundred yen, which has been like a dollar since the nineteen seventies to the two thousand twenties. Ah, interesting. Very very odd. Yeah. One detail I'd like to kind of point out about uh, what's happening outside the school in Southern Ring. We're seeing like a bunch of food stalls are set up outside the school. This ties into mm. the ending of the last chapter where Taro kind of called over a bunch of people from the shopping district who yeah. kind of set up a deal like sponsorships for the event. And so that explains partly why the prize money is as big as it is, but also the turnout and the traffic. Like, they really made this, like, a big festival that has involved the entire community. Another detail I really like in the auditorium is that you see in the background of this panel showing everyone in the ring, like, the spectators, it's a mostly male audience on the right side of the panel. But then on the left mm. side, you're seeing the girls. And coincidentally, or maybe not, uh, that's the side where Yunosuke is on. So I think that's a clever detail that Takashi put there as well. I think that's it's a good way of showing that, uh, you know, the, the girls are there for Ryunosuke and Ryunosuke only. <laughs> Um, so, so Ataru is uh, emceeing the event, uh, and I got to say, Ataru kind of shines through a little bit here. He, um, you know, he obviously put all of this together as I don't want to say scam because he's kind of dedicated to the proposition, just not really the outcome in terms of the prize money as much. But uh, he, he, he does a he does a pretty good job here of uh, commentating and emceeing the event. I got to say, and he really looks the part. Yeah, got a, a really nice. It's not quite a splash page, but it's a panel with all of the characters, all of the main girls in there, and a pretty, uh, a pretty, I'd say, famous shot of of Lum kind of touching her lip, uh, which you kind of see reproduced a lot in uh, in other people's like fan art and other work and stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, she's striking a pretty good pose there. Like, she's also mm. like the only one who seems to really be enjoying the spectacle and the intention of everything because Shinobu and Sakura are like really kind of taken aback. Ron is like acting kind of like timid and also kind of overwhelmed by like the what's going on. Ryu is kind of not really caring. Like she's just hanging by the ropes. But like Long's yeah. the only one who's like enjoying what is happening, which is kind of the, tread running through these chapters and the Lum's the only one who's really having fun through all this. Which is such a just a very Lum thing to do. Mm. You know, she she enjoys all of the attention and she joy, enjoys like just the the madcap antics of what's going on. All the characters are introduced, all the the five main ones which we talked about last time, Shinobu, Lum, Ran, Ryonosuke and Sakura. 
and of course the the very first event is uh basically like a sports festival event where you have to grab the bananas by by putting up a whole bunch of boxes and chairs uh, which are dangling above the roof to try and get them it's not even a sports festival of it it's like a as they describe it it's like a very simple intelligence test that you use to test the intelligence of like monkeys and like lab experiments yes. it's it's a kind of a insultingly meaning kind of intelligence test because it's meant to be extremely it is. simple and it, they, they do say out. it's an iq test for chimpanzees yeah what's amazing about this though is that ryunosuke you know genuinely has to problem solve to like figure it out and then she gets very excited about figuring out and it being easy yeah, she, and so she, she earnestly did it <laughs> yeah she earnestly like solves the test and you know is celebrating doing it while like people cheering her on meanwhile you know shinobu and sakura are just like hitting a tar over the head with stools and boxes they're insulted and because and, of that they get zero points yeah it's also worth noting that ron specifically is not she's going to try to win by trying to bring lum down like it's that also mm. is her motivations through this entire thing. She's a real Tanya Harding. She really wants to just sabotage Lum all the way through. So she, like, Lum just decides to fly up to grab the banana. But Ron is, like, trying to hold her leg to keep her down. Like, literally, when Lum asks her, uh, Ron, what are you doing? And Ron says, keeping you down. But of course, because she also doesn't like, solve the intelligence test, she also gets zero points and she, that backfires in her face. The Lum also loses points for not using the props. Yeah. But, um, but Ryu is, is already ahead on 10 points. Uh, next is the, the eating contest. Mm hmm. Which is just massive bowls of, of ramen, obviously sponsored by the Neko Ramen Cafe. Most likely, in, uh, sorry, the, an inspiration for the Neko Cafe in Ranma Half later on. Mm -hmm. And even though Sakura is just fed up with this contest and thinks it's so stupid, like she just keeps eating and eating just so casually. And she's like thinking, you know, I'm just going to go easy on this one. I'm just going to eat till I'm mildly full. But by the time she's seen saying that, she's already eaten 58 bowls when mm. everyone else could barely get more than four. Like in second <laughs> place is Ryu and Ron, who both barely just managed to finish four bowls before like tumbling over, just overstuffed. I do like the continuity that um, that Sakura, despite her her gorgeous figure, is just a glutton. And <laughs> after that, uh, I do like the fact that Mendo doesn't have much to do in here. He kind of appears occasionally, almost to remind the audience that he's still a thing, and then gets promptly beaten the shit out of, and then is kind of carted off. Yeah. He tries to take over the MC position, and then everyone goes, nobody's asking for your sex appeal, you idiot, and they throw a fridge at him. Well, the girls are very appreciative of Mendo stepping in, but yeah, the boys yeah. throw appliances at him and crush him out. And then the boys are excited again by the announcement of the swimsuit competition by Kadatsu Deco. Yeah. So 
Oh, but it's worked. Uh, another detail I just wanted to point out quickly is that Ron, in the eating contest, decides not to sabotage Lum, so she wouldn't come out last. But I like that mm. she comes out last anyway. She only managed to eat two <laughs> balls. So even though she didn't sabotage Lum, she still, she still ended up last year. I enjoyed that detail. It's, it's, a, nice, it's a nice little fun thing to see. Uh, you've, got, uh, you've got the announcement of the swimsuit contest. And Ron is already planning the next bit of sabotage, which is um She goes into a love and replacing a small room. snip in her one piece bikini, so when yeah. she bounces around, it's likely going to snap off. Yeah. A humiliating Lum uh, in front of the auditorium. Yeah. Like in this case, you know, she isn't even thinking like, oh, this is going to make Lum lose. This is like, no, I'm, I want to humiliate Lum. So she's kind of mm. lost sight of the competition here because... I don't think she cares about the money anymore or no, it's very she, much a secondary factor. She really just wants to spite and bring down Lums through all this. Like, her goal is just completely shifted. <laughs> like, it's... She's... Only wants to beat Lum. That's her all she's thinking about. She's not really thinking about, oh, well, how am I going to beat everyone else? Because she doesn't sabotage anyone else intentionally. No. It's just Lum. <laughs> well, I guess later on she does. Because, she does. Yeah. She does. But, but we'll, we'll, we'll get to that a little bit later. She's pretty Lum-focused right now. Yeah. Ryunosuke's dad uh, actually gifts Ryunosuke a swimsuit. When he open when she opens it, of course, she finds out that it's just a pair of tr- swimming trunks. Yeah, uh, and can't believe that he trusted him in the first place. Um, what we, what anyone else was expecting, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, but poor Ryunosuke. She like is tearing yeah. up about it. She's like, "Man, what am I gonna do?" And then, you yeah. know, Lum looks at her pensively. Yeah, Lum. Uh, everyone else enters the ring. Uh, with their swimsuits. They're all wearing uh, one-pieces. Mm-hmm. Lum enters the ring, and it turns out she is wearing a one-piece as well. And this is um, kind of an iconic swimsuit as well. It's the one with fruit all over it, uh, and yeah, it also appears in a kind of a lot of supplemental supplemental merchandise and media as well. Yeah. Ron's swimsuit's also pretty cool with all the stars on it. Mm. And, like, the frills at the bottom. They kind of went away from the fact that Ron is an alien or that she was keeping the secret that she was an alien. And they never really address it again as to whether she is or isn't. And I don't think anyone cares. Yeah, I mean, after the result of this arc, you'd have to imagine that they know about her succubus strength-stealing powers. So... Mm. But then again, like, you don't have to be a supernatural or alien creature to have special powers in your seance. I mean, look at Shinobu. She has insane superhuman strength, and she's just a normal human, supposedly. So Supposedly. And, and Sakura has uh, spiritual, spiritual powers, powers, of course, yeah. as well. So next we're on to Chapter 20, Miss Tomobiki Contest Swinsuit Competition. So I'll, I'll uh, go yeah. over to you for this one. Yeah, so Lum is having fun bouncing around in her swimsuit, and Ron is like, what the heck? Why is she wearing a one-piece now? She must have caught on that I was going to sabotage her. And so Lum is acting very friendly, and then Ron is trying to be like kind of passive-aggressively friendly to try and ask it and find out if Lum truly knows what she tried to do. And... 
<laughs> she really just takes one casual comment from Lum as a confirmation of that fact and tries to defend herself like, what happens do you have? And that gets Lum suspicious, but then Ron keeps quiet after that. Meanwhile, in, you know, the changing room, Ryu is taking a long time to undo her Sarashi, her binding. And the reason why that is, is because Mr. Fujinami is reapplying it as she's taking it off. Like, he's literally just taking the badge and spinning it around her again. And so they get into a fight about it. Uh, because, like, Mr. Fujinami's like, is, oh, if you take off the binding, they're gonna find out you're a boy and disqualify you. And then he steals the bikini top. And so Ryu runs after him, and they go into the ring, and they fight over it, and Ryu's father has the upper hand first, but Ryu, like, kicks back, literally. It's pretty, some pretty good fighting poses. But unfortunately, while she's fighting, like, her binding starts to fall off, and Mr. Ujinami takes advantage of that to put her in a tight spot where she can't, like, make a move because her binding's completely fallen off, and otherwise, like, her breasts are going to be exposed. Ataru, of course, tries to take advantage of the situation by, you know, moving his finger behind her back, tickling her so that she, like, kind of shrieks and lets go of the binding. Love rightfully hmm. hits him over the head with a hammer. <laughs> but Mr. Fujinami took advantage of this opportunity of Rinosuke being distracted to kick at her and backs her literally into a corner. But thankfully, Sakura comes to her rescue and also Shinobu comes into the clutch to, you know, give Rinosuke her jacket so she can cover her up. And Mr. Fujinami alum fight over the bra and it tears. And mm -hmm. like Ron just tries to push it on us. Oh, you broke it by pulling it. It's not my fault. Lum doesn't know what she's talking about because she does think it's her fault for like pulling on. Mm. But yeah. Like Rinusuke is sad that the bikini top has been torn, and Mr. Fujinami, of course, being kind of the awful and dense person he is, gives you the permission, quote unquote, to wear her binding, which of course does not make her happy, but she has no choice. So hmm. now everyone is in their swimsuits and they're pretty much ready to begin the competition. But they're confused because Ataru says that contestants are going to win points for technique and artistry. And they're wondering, what technique does it take to wear a swimsuit? And the judges, and we didn't really mention about the judges, but the judges are the principal Kataneku, Onsen Mark, Hanawa Sensei, and the Raijin Mark teacher. Who, man, he's hmm. showing up a lot more than I thought in the series, as we've been talking. He does, this. yeah, yeah. He's kind of forgettable the first time you read through this. Yeah, he. I mean, he doesn't have like a clear name, as far as I remember. No. So, yeah, he's just a background character, but he's actually a pretty prominent teacher in the school for background character. But anyway, the characters are all being you know measured for their shoe sizes, and so they're suspecting that they have to fight each other and wondering if that's really worth the prize money, but. Oh, this realization that they might have to fight each other makes Ron worried because she rightfully 
believes that she's the weakest fighter, and she laments not sabotaging Mumford by putting broken glass in her ring. She was like, again, really playing dirty. Like, again, a real Tanya Harding here. Like, not as going as far as, like, bashing her knees, but she, seriously. But so, that is what gives Ron the idea to basically steal everyone's strength. So she kisses Ryushinobu Sakura, but you know, she can't get alone because Lum is wise to her tricks and is calling out mm. what she's trying to do. And so Ron believes she has successfully eliminated all other threats besides Lum. But unfortunately for her, her opponents are not her fellow competitors in the swimsuit competition. No, they are a bunch of animals from the Tobiki Zoo, including the return of the bear with the eye patch Ryunosuke fought before in the previous visit to the zoo chapter where they chose Chase the Ostrich. Like, that bear character returned. And I'm wrong. There was a tiger among these fighters. They forgot. Oh, there was, yes. It was a... There was um, the old uh, Wizard of Oz... Uh, what is it? Uh, uh, lions, lions and tigers, tigers and, and bears. bears. Oh, my. <laughs> Uh, There's also a gorilla and a a snake. Yeah. (laughs) A massive anaconda by the look of it. Yeah. Uh, And we've got, um, so this, this particular chapter has quite a few action scenes in it. And you can tell that, that Takahashi is really getting more comfortable with, um, with kind of bigger panels and bigger sort of ways of people flexing their, their fighting, Mm. fighting muscles and fighting poses. And you can tell that she's really enjoying this, like enjoying these kind of larger panels with with big characters striking poses. And uh, there's some really good kicking scenes in here too. Oh, absolutely. Um, where she's really kind of gone all out and uh, it makes it look quite, um, you know, it, it makes the action flow a lot better than in a lot of the earlier chapters where you see people fighting kind of amongst themselves. Yeah, man, the action choreography in this series really becomes something else once Ryu and Rosuke's father gets introduced. Like, the fight between them in this chapter has just some really great paneling and action beats. Mm. Like, particularly the sequence where, like, Mr. Fujinami is kicking at Ryu and we're seeing the panels where dodging. And, like, the kicks are, Mm. like, going to, like, the borders of the panels where, like, Ryu is, like, really dodging left and right there. Those are, that's a really great sequence. As well as the kick Ryu does, like, while handstanding. Like, that's also really great. Man. It really just makes the action flow from one panel to the next. Um, And it's also interesting to note that Ataru has changed attire as well from what was like a traditional sumo referee sort of um, uniform yeah, to now basically like a, a boxing uniform with a little bow tie. Yeah. <laughs> like something you'd see at a, a boxing or wrestling match as well, which was a nice little detail there as well, I thought. Very sneaky, matching the change in event, for sure. Mm. You've got Run and Ryanosuke. Um, now, Run must know that Ryanosuke is a girl by this stage. Oh, it was yeah. Never I mean, she's competing in the Miss Kawabiki contest. I'm sure that she yeah. figured it out like shortly after their date or something. But yeah, yeah. that's another thing that I it's find never interesting. Explored. Is that, like, Ryanosuke is particularly shaken by being kissed by a girl. Uh, compared yeah. to Shinobu and Saga, who are, like, surprised. But, like, they're more focused on the fact that their body starts feeling weak. But, like, Ryu is just still, like, muttering to herself, oh my gosh, a girl kissed me. 
So, mm. like, again, interesting interrogating by Ryu of, like, her feelings in sexuality and stuff there. That I always mm. find interesting to see. I think she thinks she's weak because a girl kissed her and she's just weak at the knees because of that, so. <laughs> Chapter 21, Miss Tomobiki Contest, Battle of the Women. Uh, yeah. Once again, there is some wonderful art here. Oh um, my God. We'll, I'll go through the story beats first. I just love the eye patch bear twirling his chain like that he's wearing wrapped around him. Like, God dang, that's such a cool character design and fun character design. You've got uh, you've you've got all of the the women in one corner, all of the animals, all five animals in the other corner, all looking like kind of big, tough yakuza <laughs> type people, uh, <laughs> uh, animals, thugs, basically. Uh, and it's a great visage, of course. Ataru runs up for a bit of a grope and gets hit in the face by Sakura, and you don't really see him a lot in this chapter either. He's very much just like a, a side yeah. character. He just goes in for a bit of a bit of a perv every now and again. But it's so fun, like, he gets a serious expression about, like, after he hugged Sakura, and he's like, huh, Sakura seems weaker than you, like, as if you could tell from his body check, so <laughs> does he have special powers and sensibilities to sense that? Like, it's, it's interesting. I think he would have gone in there anyway. <laughs> oh, yeah. But no, he, like, genuinely figures out that, oh, Sakura is yeah, weaker than he you. does. Mm. And he's, like, seriously he does thinking after that, about yeah. it. That's <laughs> very funny. But, so the yeah. the bell is gonged, and you've got uh, Lum going on the attack first against the tiger. Mm. How fitting! Yeah, and she electrocutes the tiger. Although they've got a bit of a tag team system going on there. Yeah. Uh, and uh, during all this, Ryonosuke is just kind of going like, uh, "Oh, a girl kissed me." Mm-hmm. <laughs> on the sidelines, uh, the the snake is tagged in and starts kind of strangling Sakura, Sakura in a yeah. very in a very etchy sort of hentai tentacle yeah. porn sort of way, which is a little disturbing, but, um, you know, that's that's the way it goes here. Yeah, you don't really see Takahashi be this erotically charged or kind of exploitative with her characters in this way, so this kind of is a mm. surprising visual. It was, yeah. It was, it's... You never really see that sort of thing too much uh, in here, but Sakura is like an actual character of age. Mm, Sometimes yeah. you've got to stop the and remember that, that the rest of these characters are 17. character makes it less uncomfortable. Yeah. It's still not More acceptable, great. but still not very acceptable. <laughs> no, it's just not at least an underage character, which would have been pretty uncomfortable. But yeah. I do still despite myself, do think it's funny that they award her artistic points because of the expressions she makes while the snake is grabbing her. Like, it's not... It's a joke. The context of the joke is not super great, but, like, it... Besides myself, I do think it's funny that they they give her extra points for this sexy scene. It's a good gag, but, Mm -hmm. yeah, still, you know, in the year 2021... Not the best visage, I suppose. Mm-hmm. And you've got uh, the gorilla goes in for a kiss with uh, Sakura. Yeah. Uh, and Shinobu tries to get the gorilla off, but can't. And then you've got the bear coming into the ring and giving uh, Shinobu a good old lick. And she's really noticing that she just he's, has lost her strength. Like, she just can't swing the bear around like she can yeah. you know, usually swing 
you know, 16 to 20 normal people around. Yeah, uh, she tries to shoulder throw the bear while standing mm. on the rope, but she just topples over. Mendo jumps into the ring uh, and is basically beaten up by the bear in one panel and it taken really off by the... <laughs> establishes the power level there. And what's interesting, I guess uh, Ryoko's Kuroko showed up here because they're car- the ones yeah. carrying uh, Mendo away. They're like the ambulance. Yeah. Sort of, uh, they're carrying the stretcher. I guess she loaned them out to him for some reason today. Yeah. And Lum kind of comes in to try and save Sakura from the gorilla. Mm-hmm. And she's kind of on fire, electrified here. <laughs> Obviously, she's the only one who's full powered. It is funny. Like, she's earning the technical Everyone points while at the same time Sakura's earning the artistic points. It's- and yeah, it's, it's uh, funny. Mr. Fujinami throws um, Ryonosuke back in the ring. Uh, even after trying to attack him. And the tiger attacks uh, Ryonosuke, uh, throws her into the corner. Man, I love the star in her eye. Like, when she makes eye contact with the tiger, like, there's a crackle, and then they're like, stars are like, mm. yeah, it becomes like a real shonen, like, oh, I'm gonna fight this guy moment. But yeah, she also gets thrown around because she's lost her strength, unfortunately. Yeah, and Lum's really coming in for everyone else here. Yeah, she's the only one who can really fight, so she... Yeah, so she's she's trying to save everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, which is which is good good for Lum, really. Um, you've got Run, who's kind of uh, trying to escape by now, thinking, no, oh, I'm going to lose, we're all going to lose, I want out. The lion sees her and uh, decides the lion's in love, goes in for uh, a bit of a smooch as well. <laughs> and tackles her to the ground. Uh, all of these animals, like, trying to kiss the female characters is is very weird. Yeah, that's also... But kind of funny. That, uh, yeah, I mean, they are being assaulted by these animals, which isn't great, but... In, but it's just Takahashi, the execution of this, just... It, the comedic timing is very funny. Like, content-wise, yeah. it is problematic in a lot of respects like it isn't super great that a lot of the humor is stemming from a lot these girls kind of being assaulted by pervy animals but like because we know this is kind of like a consequence free setting and these girls are gonna like fight back that sort Mm. of dampens kind of the unsavoriness of it and it does a lot the way she details the characters in the beginning of the story is they're all like massively detailed, and when they go mm. in for a smooch, they're much less detailed, and yeah. they just kind of, kind of got a bit of shading over their face. Yeah, the goofiness also helps, but I do think it's funny that Ataru saves Ron and Akasha. Like rare, like just being helpful. There, he hammers the lion over the head. <laughs> uh, Ron decides that kissing an animal, even to drain their strength, is a bridge too far for her. Mm-hmm. Um, so she goes and gives Sakura her strength back by, mm-hmm. by kissing uh, I her. I love the quote <laughs> Sakura says here. What are you doing, you little lesbian? Like Sakura is just convinced <laughs> that Ron is gay. <laughs> yeah, but she's not like she's only upset that Ron is like kissing her without permission. She's not upset that yeah. Ron is gay. So that's... Yeah. I appreciate that. I, I just I do like the fact that they actually just say the word lesbian mm-hmm. there as well. Yeah, it doesn't doesn't happen too much. It's kind of not spoken out loud a whole lot. Uh, but I love the tension of Sakura regaining her strength and like lifting herself up to like just punch the gorilla into the sky. Ah, uh, so good. So this ends with uh, Sakura getting her strength back and uh, and Shinobu. Uh, 
who is still fighting the bear with uh, the bear on one side and run on the other trying to kiss her, not understanding that, um, you know, she'll get her strength back if she is kissed. And you've to, it ends with the gag of the principal saying, Contestant Shinobu should stop resisting. Yeah, that joke. Yeah. And, it's, uh, you know, again, context of a principal wanting to see this teenage student's kiss when one is, like, forcing herself on the other. Not very great. Like, in the no. context of this arc and these characters, like, I find it a little more not as uh, offensive, but it's still not a great joke in context and in content. Especially, no, like, with the not. other male teachers also, like, you know, mm. cheering. Like, maybe you could also, like, say, oh, they're cheering on the fighting, but, like, well, it's the idea of, like, cheering on, like, Ron forcing herself on Shinobu for the kiss is not also great either. It is interesting to see the characters without their strengths and abilities. Yeah. Here. Uh, Shinobu and Sakura acting so helpless is just not something you see very often. Mm-hmm. Particularly in Sakura's case when she's being writhed by the snake is a bit weird. Yeah. As we discussed. You know, it also goes to show something that I really love about Yusuke is that all these women are super strong and kick so much ass. And so much more than any of the male characters. Because we see Mendo come in to try and fight if he's beaten in one hit. Where, meanwhile, yeah, all, one the, panel, he's gone. all the female characters, when they have their strength, can hold their own and beat up these animals. So, like, that's another cool thing I love about your shots. And why I love this arc so much is, like, like as we get into the next chapter, uh, chapter 22, Miss Tomoe Contest Results, it's just, like, character, it's all king ass. We have this great dial page of, like, them all in the corner together, you know, they're all having each other's backs, and they're all prepared for a fight. Such a cool visual. Mm. All right, let's, so let's go into the last chapter now. Yeah, so Lum helps Ron just do, well, the kiss. I mean, it gets interfered a little bit by the bear, like, licking Ron and trolling her off and then, like, falling on top of them. But Ron manages to do the kiss on Shinobu, which restores Shinobu's strength and allows her to lift the bear. And I love Atari's comments that the sight of her... Hoisting the bear brings to mind the legend of Kentaro and she throws the bear <laughs> on him because she's so fed up. And then she and Sakura team up where Sakura has grabbed the gorilla and Shinobu takes and yanks the bear by its chain and he, they slam the bear and gorilla into each other. This super badass collision. So then Ron sets her aside to Yusuke, who's kind of slinked off in the corner. And then Yusuke is, like, kind of hesitant to have the kids because, you know, she's a girl, Ron's a girl. And, I like, Ron's like, you know, what's that got to do with it? <laughs> but, yeah, so Ron, like, goes on to Yusuke to try and kiss and gives her back their strength. And... Lum is fighting off the lion, and it's, again, it's funny that the judges are awarding both technical artistic points to Lum, you know, fighting while Ryu and Ron, them, like, their scene of, like, embracing and, like, Ron trying to kiss is also earning artistic points. But, yeah, Lum fighting the lion, the lion falls on Ron, which gets Ryu a moment to flee the ring. Lum chases after her, as is Ron, but Mr. Fujinami 
intercepts and holds Rinosuke in place so that Ron can come in for the kiss. But as Ron is trying to do so, all the girls who are crushing over and in love with Rinosuke, they hold Ron back. Like, they're really holding her back by the hair, too. Like, they pull her back by the hair. Like, they really, like, don't want to see a kiss between her. And they're, like, guarding and protecting Rinosuke, but they're also squeeing over, mm. like, touching her. Like, they're super infatuated. Meanwhile, back in the ring, Lum is fighting the snake, and she takes the snake, and she uses it to grab and coil Ryunusuke and Ron together, and so in that moment where they're both in close proximity, Ryan takes the opportunity to kiss Ryunusuke, and that is to the chagrin of the other girls who are loving Ryunusuke, but to the excitement to the pleasure of Mr. Rutanami, who's like, yay! And Rue laments having to have kissed a girl twice while Mr. Rutanami wants her to do it again so she can get used to girls, otherwise she'll never find a way. But, you know, Rutanami, angry, like, throws Mr. Fujinami away, her strength back, while he still taunts her of, hey, hey, you kissed a girl! And so she just goes after him, like, the snake is coiled around her now. Like, it's coiled around her body. She's, like, using it as a lasso and throwing it at him to fight him. But instead, it, like, hits the bear. It's Mr. Fujinami, like, jumps out of the way. And Lum, like, kind of intercepts Rinosuke and says, Hey, save your family food for later. And they both score a double lariat on the bear, kicking it right in the face and making it go down. And, <laughs> yeah, so the animals, you know, they've all been taking hits, and so now they all bring out the weapons. I mean, the bear already had its chain, but, like, the lion brings out spiked knuckles, the tiger brings out a fork <laughs> knife. Knuckle dusters. Literally, literally silverware. The tiger brings out a fork and knife, and the... Hmm. And the gorilla just takes a desk. And so, yeah, the animals... Use weapons. And meanwhile, like, the girls team are still using the anaconda. Like, their stake teammate against them. Like, Sakura has it now, and she's using it to fend off the bear's chain. Rinosuke's kicking back against the lion. Uh, Nobu's crushing the gorilla. Lum's electrocuting the tiger. And so they all take their opponents, they all collide them into each other, while Lum is also giving them a good shot for good measure. Rom, meanwhile, is not really actually participating in, like, the fight. She's, like, synced off the court, just watching everyone beat up the animals. But yeah, they succeed in knocking them out. They do not survive the tank count. They do not get up after the tank count. And they all celebrate their group victory, like, after beating the animals. But then they're taking it back of, wait a minute, a group victory? Who's heard of a group victory in a beauty pageant? But the principal explains that because they all fought so badly, you know, they forgot to award points. But, you know, they did a really great job. They showed off cool moves and their trained bodies and so they forgot to score them and you know sakura and ron they seized through the rules like they just forgot to score the points they they just forgot to score them so they're a little <laughs> they were just dejected. too engrossed in what was going on <laughs> yeah they're a little dejected that they went through this big ordeal of fight for really no winner but they have the prize packages already set up like party balls are hanging by the roof and 
I get when were they set up? I don't know. Maybe they're hanging there all along. But there are five of them. A prize package worth thirty thousand yen each for them. And you know they're a little disappointed. Well, that's a lot less than you know one hundred fifty thousand. But it's better than nothing. But the party balls open. They pop open, and something falls out. But it is not money. It's Taiyaki. It is. <laughs> They each won 30,000 yen, $300 worth of Taiyaki. And so we see, you know, Shinobu and Sakura are the most kind of upset at this. Because as we see in the wrap of this, like, what everyone does with their prize. Like, Shinobu basically just gives Sakura all her share of Taiyaki. Like, Sakura is, like, thinking to herself, man, 30,000 yen of Taiyaki isn't even enough for a meal. <laughs> like, man, her appetite. So, like, Sakura at least gets, like, a snack for her out of this. Shinobu really is the only one who got nothing. Nothing out of this. It makes you feel very, very bad for her. Meanwhile, the Fujinamis are selling their Taiyaki off. Then Ron is able to give her Taiyaki to Rei as a gift, which he's pretty happy about. And then Lum is just enjoying her Taiyaki while Ataru is enjoying all the <laughs> sponsorship donations and free gifts from the shopping district so like the people who really went out of all this were Lum and Ataru and honestly Ron kind of was able to get something she could spin into a positive too but yeah I think um, this is this is kind of a rare win for Ataru yeah it is it does kind of show his shrewd kind of uh scammy business-like practices and, and and faux gambling here uh, which is just such a high school boy thing to do. I think we've we've <laughs> all held kind of illegal gambling rings in high school. Um, maybe uh, at least we did in Australia. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, he even though he's hospitalized, yeah, he does pretty much win out of this. Like again, he gets a lot out of this. Like he's counting his money yeah. in his bed. He's you know pretty content in situation. Lum had a good time. Like yeah. Lum also thought this was really fun, and it's just eating taiyaki at the end. Um, had, a couple of things yeah. I did want to mention about this arc, especially with the animals, is that the animals, when they pose a threat, are very detailed mm. and very menacing. And then by the time they get their strength back, they're much less detailed. And even when they get their weapons, they look more comical than threatening, mm. because you know that they're just not going to win. They're not going to even pose a threat to these these girls who have got their their um their strength back and it's such a great way for Takahashi to show that these animals are more comical than threatening now mm. uh, no matter no matter what kind of weapons that they have and this this arc is uh kind of reminds you that this is you know Urusei Yatsura for all intents and purposes is actually a shonen manga mm. I forget that sometimes I think because when I think shonen manga, I always think shonen jump and, you know, overly muscular characters beating the snot out of each other for, yeah. you know, 20 issues in a row. That really isn't the shonen Sunday style. Shonen Sunday is more like no, comedy is very different. and mm. uh, romantic tales and adventure. Like when we think of shonen Sunday action series, they're more about like kind of adventure fantasies rather than power battles like the jump stuff. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And. This does uh, seem to give Takahashi um, a bit of an excuse to flex those muscles a little bit, I think. Mm. And she seems to really get into it and and, uh, and really appreciate because, you know, this this does go on. This is the longest arc in the series so far. 
and I think it's pretty obvious that she really enjoyed doing this story. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it is a fighting focused story arc in the last three chapters of it. So yeah, I mean, we're really seeing again. We've been seeing it since Ryunosuke has been introduced. Takashi is getting really interested in the idea of doing action comedy storytelling. And I think this is something we're just going to continue to see, like, throughout the rest of the series, up until the point, you know, where she ends it and she starts Rama Half, which is an action comedy. Yeah, and I wonder if some of this is kind of in reflection to her doing Mazonikoku at the same time, just kind of, like, wanting to do more action-y type of scenes, like, kind of doing two things that are, uh, you know, drama comedy, yeah, and then kind of just a straight you know, kind of wacky comedy in Urusa Yatsara is just her wanting to stretch some of those muscles to yeah. kind of do something more kind of shonen fighting focused. Especially because Mizuno Kuku was so grounded. Like, I think there might have mm. been one petty attempt at a fight between Goda and Mitaka that went nowhere. Like, mm. <laughs> so, yeah, she can't go as crazy in Mizuno Kuku because of the setting and because of the nature of the characters as she can in Yatsura. And because she's established that so many of her characters are pretty strong and capable at fighting, like, she is able to create basically a tournament arc in the series. And, yeah, she's going to continue to explore, like, doing fighting and action comedy in in future storylines, too. So, yeah. I think this is this is kind of the start of her flexing those muscles uh, quite a bit more in the lead up to Ranma Half, despite the fact that we're only halfway through yeah. Yatsura. I mean, Ranma Half is point. still a ways off; it's still years off at this point. But mm, yeah, literal yeah. years. But it is interesting the way that you you can kind of see uh, Takahashi develop interests throughout the the run of Urusei Yatsura. Mm. So that kind of brings us to the end of Volume 9. We do have the uh, Urusei Yatsara Data File 18, yeah, uh, it's which on talks the principal. about the true identity of the principal, who we've really seen take more of a yeah, the- commanding presence within the school in, the, in this last yeah. volume. I mean, this Miss Tobiki contest is in many ways a turning point for the character and his, you know, interest in starting and holding a bunch of these conscious and competitions between the students to like test them and just make a big, you know, event out of gatherings between the students and put them against each other. Like we have a lot of different type competition stories set at the school that the principal organizes from here on out. This is where they really Hmm. establish him as an eccentric character whose idea of nurturing his students is like through putting them through these weird trials that like, are incredibly arduous and annoying. Yeah, and you he is very eccentric because before he was just kind of he just kind of looked like your typical principal balding kind of close to retirement, but here you see him as more eccentric, strange, yeah. a little bit pervy sometimes, but also his constant companion is now um Katatsu Neko. Katatsu Neko or like Katatsu Kitty, I think they call him yeah. this version. Uh and and they're always just kind of hanging out and drinking tea together and the and the Katatsu Neko kind of acts as, a, as an advisor sometimes even, interestingly. And it's interesting because prior to this, the principal was sort of on the same side as Ansa Mark in terms of how 
he saw disciplining the students, but as we go forward, like, they're going to be more at odds because the principal is a little more lenient and indulgent in, like, letting the students do something crazy, whereas Onsen Mark wants to just keep order and just do a normal classroom most of the time, mm. or otherwise, like, punish the students through super harsh disciplinarian means whereas the principal is very much more lax and it is a shift in characterization because we have saw that when the principal is bothered or like when the students are making too much of a scene or they've damaged the score or something like he will like suggest punitive punishments rather than something crazy like i recall like there was a time like they like ran over the principal literally like they stormed out of classroom and they ran over the principal he was like man those kids are getting attention or like when ataro like uh destroyed the school when i think that tree was he got a week suspension yeah, yeah he got a week's <laughs> attention but like from here on out he's like not nearly as harsh or strict no he's just kind of seen more as he's the eccentric and 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 onsen mark really is just kind of the linchpin of sanity yeah. that slowly disappears from the school over the over the series. Oh yeah. And uh, lastly, we've got the uh, the side effects of Lum's food. Mm-hmm. Kind of the um, the statistics at the end. Yeah, it's interesting. Like they say that they counted eleven incidences of her cooking in the text, mm. but then when we go into the the breakdown, like the chart, it it just says it says the number of times she cooks is twenty five. So. I'm a yeah, little confused. It seems a bit off there. Yeah, I'm a little confused what they mean. Then, it's yeah, like, I think maybe people suffer bad side effects a little yeah. times while she's seen cooking twenty five times. Yeah, because there are sometimes she cooks and everyone just refuses to eat it. Mm-hmm. Uh, once again, displaying the fact that Lum's tastes are very, very different. Yeah, to everyone else's when it comes to Earth's food. So that was a that was a really good volume. I think oh, there were a couple of fantastic. bits that disturbed the both of us a little bit. Yeah, there are things that haven't aged. You know, they weren't appropriate in the first place, but the people at the time didn't think maybe as critically about the mm. messages they were sending and what was being written and published. But now, you know, we, we are more socially aware generally, so we can, like, just easily recommend point like yeah this this is not a great message this is some problematic content like i i still enjoyed so many of these storylines and even the mist time we being kind of just like we did pick apart like things that weren't great about the messaging and the content and that but i still love that storyline and how it plays out and the action in it and just how fun it is in terms of the concept and in terms of the execution and just Seeing yeah. all the female characters kick ass is very fun. I, I still as, like as it much a lot. as we're picking it apart. Uh, you know, it is important to remember that it's number one, not our culture. Number two, it is you know, all, some of these are forty years ago now. Some of these stories, and at the end of the day, it's a gag manga. You know, we're picking it apart, but you know, don't take it too seriously. But it is interesting to explore these sorts of themes. Yeah, uh, much later on as well. I think I'm a little more lenient of. Some of this stuff in the context of your Siatra because it is like this wacky, you know, anything goes world that's pretty consequence free. Mm. Like if you're taking itself more seriously, like it would be a bigger, harder, more uncomfortable pill to swallow. 
But this yeah, time, and that's something that we probably wouldn't dip into quite so much if it was that sort of story. Yeah. I, I can tolerate it, and even I can find... Like, I, I mentioned that the artistic points jokes in the contest, I, I did find it funny, even though the place where the joke is coming from, in terms of, like, the actual con itself, doesn't necessarily come from a super great place, necessarily. Hmm. So uh, that brings us to the end of another podcast. Uh, I will just quickly mention that uh, next time we are planning to do uh, a podcast about Urusei Yatsara Movie 1, Only You. Uh, we might uh, have a bit of a viewing party beforehand, and then we might, do a, uh, we might do the episode after. We're not quite sure what the precise format this is going to take yet, but we're going to work it out, and it should be a lot of fun. Yeah, I'm excited. You know, as much as I love the manga, I'm excited to dig into the anime on this show and cover the movies. Like, we've got five and a half of them. (laughs) So, yeah, (laughs) I'm excited. There's going to be a great couple of episodes to sprinkle in between our manga coverage. And, hey, by the time we're done with those movies, maybe, hopefully, we'll have you more anime to talk about. Like, here's hoping. But, yeah, yeah, I'm excited. Uh, And... The movie, the first movie, has a very interesting um, production as well. Mm. Uh, not not all of them good stories either, but very, very interesting about how the first movie came to be and, and the troubles they had making. But we'll discuss yeah. all about that next uh, episode. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at ProdTally. I also do another show called Game Life Balance Australia, which I think we're going to have another episode out of that soon, which is pandemonium <laughs> uh because of my co-host fiance guest starred on there and uh had a lot of questions for uh Ooh. for two guys who she just wanted to get uh she just never asked before and decided she wanted to know the answers <laughs> to and uh, we had very comical answers <laughs> Uh, and uh, and where can we find you? You can find me at Lamramayasha on Twitter, and it's Lamramayasha has a variety of places. Enemies Revelation, Anyways, where it is Lamramayasha, that's where you can find me. You can read my manga reviews on ondashkama.com. We got a lot of books coming in, a lot of reviews going out, so look forward to more of them there. And you can also find pretty much all the podcasts that I do on onagecomment.com and, you know, pretty much every podcast platform of choice, which includes, of course, Lumsky, but also includes Manga Mavericks, the podcast I do where we discuss manga in general as a medium, as an industry. We do series retrospectives, interviews, and cover news, cover new serializations, all sorts of fun stuff. So check that out. And... Yeah, well, so Manga Outside Movies is a show related to that, where we primarily cover anime movies or movies that just interest us. So we definitely have some plans for more episodes of that coming soon as well. And of course, Manga Rabbits, you can follow at Manga underscore Mavericks on Twitter and Tumblr, Manga Rabbits, Tumblr.com, YouTube, 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 and again, every podcast platform, which choice did you think of? And if you like the art that I draw for my podcast and the art that I draw in general... I do? Oh, thank you. Uh, yeah, you can find that on my Instagram at SidArtWorks. I really need to get onto Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> Still not on there yet. I'm worried that if I join another another social media platform, it's going to suck even more time out of my, yeah. my already very limited life. <laughs> yeah, you got to be careful. Like, I mainly just stick with Twitter and just use Instagram and Facebook to just post and share messages I want to share with pretty much everyone that might not be just on Twitter. But yeah, yeah like fair enough. Yeah, Instagram is a good platform for sharing art and images as well. So 
you know, yeah, if you want to check out uh, my stuff, uh, my art stuff, definitely check that out. But if you want to find more Love Squad in particular, make sure you're following the show, keeping up with updates and new episodes. You can follow us on Twitter at Rome underscore squad, on Tumblr, lovesquad.tumblr.com. And our YouTube, YouTube, so see us one squad. And of course, we are every podcast platform you can think of Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, you name it, we are on it. And you can find new episodes, yeah, in the Lum Squad feed, so definitely check that out. And if you have any questions for us, like any thoughts on the series you want to share, like how do you feel about the chapters in Volume 9, the Miss Timobiki contest, and some things that we talked about, about what held up really great and what maybe has not held up so well. Like if you have any thoughts or questions about that, you can send your thoughts our way to our email, lungsquadpod at gmail.com, and we'd love to hear your guys' thoughts about the series and discuss them on the show. So yeah, we'd love to hear your feedback and send that our way. And yeah, and also I guess if you want to support the show, help us continue producing new episodes, the Lung Squad Podcast is under the general Manga Mavericks kind of podcast banner, so you can... Go to the Manga Mavericks Patreon, patreon.com slash Manga Mavericks, and we have a couple different tier options where you can, you know, uh, show support and pledge uh, maybe a few bucks a month, and in return, like, we have some cool rewards, like early access to po- our podcasts, including Lump Squad episodes when they're done early, and bonus podcasts monthly for other Patreon, like currently our monthly bonus project is a Saint Sia reads through in which my minor is co-host Colton and frequent uh, guest of friend Doctor that goes through the Saint Sia manga for the first time and they're currently in the middle of the Hades arc so they're nearing the end so you definitely will want to hear their thoughts on that wild journey of that utter like classic 80s shonen. So yeah, definitely check that out and check us out. You know, if you enjoy the work we do, uh, we really appreciate your support. But I think that about does it for this episode of Lum Squad. And we will see you darlings in the next one. Matane da cha. Bye bye.